Hello, listeners. You are about to listen to the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. This is a show for any and all baseball fans and is led by myself and my co-host, Travis. I'm what you would call a stats nerd, and my buddy Travis was a total stud on his D3 college team. Our goal is to try to show you how we view the game of baseball, and maybe we'll share a few laughs along the way. So grab a drink, kick back, and join us on this wonderful ride through the 2022 MLB offseason lockout. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast, episode 42. Alex and I are coming to you guys live. It is Sunday, December 19th, uh, almost 7.30 uh, at night right now. Uh, Alex, we're still <laughs> still in lockout mode, but we did actually receive some exciting news um, from one MLB team uh, on somewhat of a signing, not a, not a baseball player, but a manager si- signing in uh, the past, I would say probably 42 hours, and that was Buck Showalter is now going to be the New York Mets' new baseball manager. Uh, I'll start with you, Alex. Kind of your front thoughts on that. Uh, how do you think it kind of matches up? And also, what do you see that team really doing with that uh, manager, you know, steering that ship? Yeah, so definitely an interesting hire. Um, Travis, what I will say, and I don't, I don't want my opinion on this to affect, you know, your thoughts. I want to hear your thoughts after mine, just your, you know, unbiased, you know, unaffected thoughts. So essentially my thoughts uh, at first is I think that there had to be better options out there. I heard that they were also talking with the bench coach for the Astros and the Rays. And these are two teams who have obviously very smart organizations. And I think the Mets could have used that kind of mind. They went for a kind of a classic, like older school, like more of a reputation coach guy who's been the head coach, the manager on multiple teams uh, before, which of course there's value in that. Um, But I just think overall, uh, like people were kind of some multiple kind of reporters or Mets fans or people who have been Mets fans for a long time saying this was the right move we needed. It's someone who's going to bring a winning mindset to the organization. Right. And I saw some, such some super funny comments of people saying winning mindset. He's never won anything. And it's really kind of funny because a lot of times these kind of respected old timey kind of managers who have been around for decades, three decades, this, this manager has been around. He started with the Yankees his first year coaching in 1992. Um, obviously there's lots of respect for his name, but you know, there's no titles to his name. He actually funny enough was coaching the Yankees and the year after he's no longer their coach, they go on to become a dynasty with Joe Torre. So it's almost like people kind of say like, Oh, he might've built them towards that. But it's really funny how, not until he left did they start winning. Then he goes to the Diamondbacks, Travis. And the year after the Diamondbacks, or the year after, sorry, he leaves, Diamondbacks win the World Series. So back-to-back stints, his first two stints as a coach, he obviously had like championship-level talent. And not until he left did they win, which is just kind of an interesting phenomenon. Of course, had a nice little four-year stint with Texas Rangers. And then had a, a his longest stint was with Baltimore Orioles. Did, you know, get to the playoffs. Had some good, uh, I think there was an ALCS appearance. Um, but at the end of the day, Travis, I think, you know, there might have been some more better options that would have suited, like, my, my personal likings, which, of course, I 
am all about, you know, the forward thinking and like trying to find the best coach who's going to like, you know, bring the new school mindset. And that's just the way I think about the game. Um, I think one pro for Buck Showalter is that someone like Zach Britton, who was the closer for the Orioles during some of those good years, he coached them. Uh, I think Britton was saying how he brought an accountability to the team. And that's an interesting quote because I think there were some concerns last year about the Mets locker room. There were some, you know, small little fights between, I think it was like Lindor and McNeil or something like that. There was like a, some chippiness. The I, raccoon uh, rumor or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Someone said they were fighting about some sort of rodent, but I think that they were just like beefing and they try to make a distraction. Anyways, um, it could be very good for the team to have someone who's going to hold them accountable, you know, maybe bench some guys that need to learn, you know, discipline in certain ways or another i'm not so sure that's not the part of coaching that i know a lot about like you know being in the dugout and talking to the players you know so if he's great at that then that's an awesome thing for the mets i just think that he's definitely like an old school kind of baseball mind and i know for example like zach Britton was like this elite closer for baltimore and since they didn't have a lead they did not use him in one of the wild card games when encarnacion hit that monster home run and people were kind of just saying like just put in your best pitcher for this high leverage scenario. It's okay if he's not going to get a save. He can get the win or whatever, you know, let him pitch in this big moment. But at the end of the day, Travis, um, it's like, like we said, it's a respected baseball veteran. I'm just not so sure that it's the winning. He's bringing the winning mindset that everyone thinks he is um, because there's no pedigree of that quite yet. But go ahead and give me your thoughts. Don't let what I said interfere with you. Tell me what you think of the signing. No, it was a good analysis, Alex. And you, you literally hit it on the spot because I'm looking at the years that he that he coached and you're right the Yankees from 92 to 95 they win the World Series in 96 without him and then look at the Diamondbacks 98 to 2000 they win the World Series in 2001 um you know a lot of different uh locations or a lot of different markets that he has coached in and I, I of course I know him best from Baltimore those of course all those years watching baseball uh you're right took him took 2014 Orioles to the ALCS but had to lose to the Kansas City Royals. But you're right. I mean, I think there are a lot, a lot of better options out there. I know a lot of people, a lot of people were almost, you know, they had his name in the hat. But in all consideration, I don't think it was, you know, too much of a serious look for most teams when they were talking about Buck Showalter. I think they want to go for a better, younger, fresher perspective on a lot of these uh, franchises because that's the way we're seeing a lot of organizations kind of get turned around overnight. Is they have these young coaches with these different mindsets that are able to turn these teams around. So, uh, and especially going to New York, going to the Mets, a franchise that is desperate for winning, a franchise that has elite-level talent, just had probably the best offseason out of any team in the MLB, so there's already a lot of pressure there. Uh, it will be interesting to see what really happens and what can transpire. They're in a very, very tough division. Um, you can't count out, of course, the Atlanta Braves. can't count out the Phillies. The Marlins are rising up, and then also the Nationals are just kind of I'm not saying going to get worse. They have, of course, one of the best players in the game in Juan Soto. So, of course, that'll be a bright spot for them. Uh, and then, of course, Strasburg possibly coming back too. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, th I think there were better hires out there. I, I don't know if I would be 100% satisfied right now if I was a Mets uh, fan because, I, I mean, you, you want to put your trust in, you know, the front office and in the owner. But at the same time, you kind of want to look at it and say, well, I mean, what has he really done in his career? I mean, you look at this, this century, Alex. He's only had two seasons where he's won 90 or more games, and those were 2012 Orioles and 2014 Orioles. Um, didn't really win anything with the Rangers. Uh, won 100 games in 99 with the Diamondbacks, but 
other than that, it's really not been too much of an impressive resume. I mean, one thing is, I guess you could say is pretty good in the 20 years of managing. He is about honestly 500. It's he's 506 right. in yeah. his entire career. Over so like two decades. At least you can say he has a 500 winning uh, percentage in his career. But also, um, I think the Mets want a guy where you know, <laughs> winning's all they've ever known, and you know, a guy that at least has gotten teams to the World Series, won championships. So uh, it's definitely a level I would say of a little little level of concern to see how it goes, um, and honestly, and see how if he's not winning in year one, he's automatically you know almost let go because they want to focus on it, they want to finish the game, they they want of course want to win right now. So, Absolutely. So yeah, interesting enough with the whole hiring, um, it's kind of at least it's good to get some sort of uh, action going on you know in MLB right now because we're just waiting and waiting and waiting. Right. Again, I keep watching. Barry Bonds highlights on Twitter. I keep watching, you know, all these Hall of Fame guys because I feel like we're going in, in, into that season in the next couple of weeks. And, you know, they want to start hyping these things up. But it's at least good that we get to see uh, some of these, you know, new hires kind of be announced. And it, at least this part's cool that they can. This is not locked out. We at least get to see some of these managerial acquisitions. Right. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, that kind of sums up, I guess, for the news for the week that we've had that we've seen in the past couple of days. Um, today's episode, Alex and I, of course, are going to be going over the National League Central divisions, going over all five teams, pretty much all franchise teams, of course. Again, uh, breaking it down all the way from catcher all the way to the outfield, the five starting pitchers, and of course, the ninth inning closer guys. So uh, we'll kind of kick off into that part of the section right now. I know the last couple of episodes have been going pretty deep so we of course want to try to get this stuff done as soon as possible so we're not wasting you know two and a half hours but you know sometimes it's necessary because uh some of these teams we got to give these guys their credit you need to get the analysis right yeah no exactly so uh alex we'll start off right now um cincinnati reds good to start there yeah let's do it perfect okay uh so i'll start again by giving you guys kind of the brief history cincinnati reds 140 years old we get into this division, it's some of the oldest teams in MLB. I mean, we're going back to like 1870s, 1880s on a frequent basis for a lot of these teams. So the Cincinnati Reds are 140 years old. They started out in 1882 as the Cincinnati Red Stockings. And they lasted till that, till the 1889 season. And then in 1890, they became the Cincinnati Reds all the way up to what is now known as, of course, the Cincinnati Reds. But really funny, in 1954, they were actually called the Red Legs from 54 to 58, which... Red yeah, Legs? I, red Legs. I so, like that. Interesting enough, while they just went, they went with this name for about four seasons, and then they just went back to the Reds. So interesting enough, that's why they were called the, uh, the Red Stockings to the Red Legs. Now, of course, they're always known as the Reds. So uh, we'll start off with the catching position, Alex. Um, this one was probably one of the easiest of all time making this list. Uh, Johnny Bench is my catcher, um, possibly the greatest catcher of all time. Brings the defense, brings the power, brings everything you like about the catching position. Uh, who do you got for that catcher? Yeah, Travis, this was perhaps the easiest position we've had to decide uh, for the whole division, but possibly uh, just the whole exercise we've done, been doing this like sort of all-time teams because – not only is Bench one of the best catchers ever, but like there's no one else that's really close for the organization. There's like even with Yogi Berra, Travis, we still had to look at okay, we have to give you know Thurman Munson and Jorge Posada their their, their due diligence. But for Johnny Bench's case, there's just no one 
on his, you know, there's no one on his level, level or the level yeah. below it. So it's just like Johnny Bench is for sure the pick just to kind of shine some light on him. Travis, uh, you know, he has MVPs. He has like some of the best power hitting numbers for catchers ever. Honestly, Travis, looking at some of his stats, it's kind of like almost a bit of a modern hitter in disguise because he really didn't have a great average for a lot of his really good years. Um, sometimes he, you know, the average was okay, but he had a good good enough on base and like his career average is down at a 267 but a good on base in the middle of the 300s and then a uh, great pop obviously led the mlb in home runs two different times two mvp awards pretty much both years he led in homers he got the mvp um and obviously travis the historical bonus he gets from being on the you know the all-time great reds teams in the mid 70s is uh that much more of a bonus for his resume but uh yeah the defense the offense it's an, it's an easy pick Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Now we'll slide over to the first and the second base spots, the right side of the infield, Alex. I'll go first again. Uh, for me, I have first base. I have Joey Votto. Of course, the guy he's playing right now. Love to get a modern guy into all these all franchise teams. Uh, he's a superstar. I mean, he brings the plate discipline, the walks, and then also the just overall clutchness. Uh, great all around player. Uh, should be a shoe in for the Hall of Fame. I know we talked about him a couple months ago on our Hall of Fame episode about current players uh with 10 or more years of service and right now he's on track really hope that of course the voters will be looking at those numbers that we're looking at as being just an all-time great producer and performer so he's my first baseman second baseman and again another easy one i have joe morgan uh again pretty much made that whole entire big red machine in the 70s click uh, a great defender great speed great average and honestly one of the best power hitting second basements of all time so Joe Morgan, Joey Votto. Uh, also, both guys are in top six for all-time Reds war. So uh, they can do it also. Who do you got for that right side of the infield? Yeah, Travis, we're still in agreement. Uh, Joey Votto, I love what you said about him. He does have an MVP to his name from uh, 2010 with a great 10-24 uh, OPS, um, a 171 OPS plus. Travis, Joey Votto has to be just a super underrated player. Like when you think of Joey Votto, you might not think about it, but a 148 OPS plus for the whole career. So his whole career on average, he's like definitely like MVP discussion kind of guy. That's just for his averages. His career batting average, 302. His career on base percentage, 416. His career slugging is 520. Those are great, great numbers. If he did that in one season, he'd be getting MVP votes. But he, that's his averages for, you know, his 15-year career up at age 37 now definitely like winding down in his career but just had a resurgence in 2021 with a nice 136 ops plus and uh 16th and mvp voting for the national league so he's definitely not done yet and what i will say travis when i see you've led uh your national league in on base percentage seven different times and then i think three of those times you led all of baseball in the same era where Mike Trout is also playing, that's so impressive. You know, you led baseball and on base three different times, and you're competing with some of the best hitters of all time as well. So, a um, lot to like about him. The plate discipline is just like one of the best, truly, of all time. So, a very special player. He has to be the first baseman. And then Travis, second base, we, we completely agree again. Um, Joe Morgan, just like Johnny Bench, he has two MVPs to his name, but they were back-to-back, and they were, you know, in, in, a, in World Series winning years. Um, it was a super it was it was just probably peak reds right it was just like the, the peak of their whole franchise and he Definitely. was he was probably their best player for that short stretch where they won you know the back-to-back -back, uh world series titles so easy pick there just like just like Votto, actually great 
underrated plate discipline and power for for a second baseman had great speed too just did it all kind of a five tool player um in disguise for sure so yeah easy right side we're still in total agreement travis yeah so far i think making these lists um catching first and second were pretty slam dunks uh as well as you know i think some of the other picks we'll get to right now but uh red's just a lot of good history when you look at the entire uh just the entirety of it all so uh we'll we'll now move to the shortstop and third base spot alex for me uh at the shortstop spot i have barry larkin um i know one of the most iconic seasons he had was a 30 30 season um not many guys i think had it had done that or at least had accomplished that in 30 home runs and 30 stolen bases so Barry Larkin is my shortstop. My third baseman is then going to be Tony Perez, another guy that was part of that, as you said, big red machine in the 70s, uh, won all those World Series championships, has two World Series championships to his name, and is a Hall of Famer, uh, and spent, of course, majority of his career with the Cincinnati Reds, 16-year career. That is my left side, Alex. So who do you got, again, for your left side? Yeah, Travis, so uh, left side, shortstop, Barry Larkin. I think it has to be Barry Larkin. Um, not part of that big red machine. Uh, 90s machine. 90s machine. <laughs> and as exactly. a World Series championship. Yep. Exactly right. And I think I keep saying the word underrated. I hate when people say the word underrated too much, but I think Barry Larkin is an extremely underrated uh, MLB player, Travis. Nine-time silver slugger. I mean, at, at a shortstop position, that, that that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I think that... Um, I think that in just in thinking about like all-time shortstops, I think Larkin's name does not really come towards the top of the the top of the list but um i think there's a good case to say that he might has he has a case i think to be better than Derek jeter or at least very very comparable um looking at his like career numbers 116 ops plus for a shortstop is great looking at his peak seasons he has a 155 in 1996 which was the year after he won mvp and travis i actually saw like a, a post about this one time he did win mvp in 1995 then the next season, he had a better on base and a way better slugging. Went from 15 home runs to 33 home runs. Had way more RBIs. Um, that is funny. Yeah, almost the same right number now. of hits. And got way less MVP votes, even though he got a gold glove and silver slugger. And this is just because people don't like it. People don't like giving MVP to people in back-to-back years unless they think they're like an all-time kind of guy, I guess. That really... Uh goes with your argument with the whole Shohei thing because I remember you said Shohei yeah. could have a better season and we're not going to give it to him because he's already done that you know yeah and it's gonna be really hard for Shohei to repeat and do better Larkin did way better he almost was he went from an 886 OPS to a 977 a huge step forwards yet went from first place in MVP voting to 12th so overall Travis I think Larkin definitely kind of got snubbed in some ways in his career might not gotten the full credit he deserved in in, in, for example in 1991 a 143 OPS plus but only got 17th in MVP voting he only played 123 games but still I think there's you know a good argument to say that he was an underrated player and yeah he he is I'm super happy to have him as the shortstop for this team and then Travis for third base. I also do have Tony Perez. Tony Perez also part of the Big Red Machine, uh, a super you know, a super important piece of that team. And I will say that there were some other options for third base. And just not to not to spoil spoil anything for the rest of the list, but there is a very important player to Reds history that can play third base, but he can play lots of spots. And I think we are probably in agreement about where we want to put him. Yep. So <laughs> it's probably a good time to move on to outfield, Travis. Yeah. Yeah. Outfield it is. Uh, and of course, three outfielders, great, great talents all across. If you like contact, if you like power, 
if you like speed, any of these guys, they all got it. Uh, for me, it's going to be Pete Rose, George Foster, and then like we always keep talking about Frank Robinson. Frank Robinson playing majority of his career with the Reds, uh, won an MVP there, was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, George Foster, one of those guys that really you don't really know too much about, but uh, you know he has a uh, MVP to his name. He of course has two championships, a part of that big red machine. Back to back seasons with forty plus home runs. Uh, had kind of just a great power bat in the later half of the seventies. Uh, really kind of underrated guy. Did not get into the Hall of Fame. Only a forty four point two WAR, uh, but still had some very good prime numbers. And then of course Pete Rose, all time hits leader. Um, 4,000 something, something hits. I just know he broke, he broke tight Cobb's. Shattered. Yeah. yeah. So 4256 in hits, uh, 303 batting average and all time. Great contact bat. Uh, he's got to be an easy guy to get the nod. So that is my outfield. Alex, who do you got for your outfield? Yeah, Travis, we are in total agreement. Uh, my outfield is the exact same. Uh, I think that Pete Rose, it makes sense to put him out here because Tony Perez is a great guy to slide, you know, keep him at third base make uh rose the outfielder for those that don't know rose played like all three outfield spots as well as third and first for like that big red machine uh in different years he had different primary positions so uh yeah he's my outfielder uh i'm keeping him out there also frank robinson and george foster um robinson travis i think one of the best uh pitchers or sorry one of the best right-handed hitters of his era and he played in an era with great great players like hank aaron and, and you know willie mays and stuff they kind of overlapped a bit there um, led the National League in OPS three different times. And one time he led the MLB, and that's just as a red I'm looking at. This have an MVP as a red. Um, overall, just a complete slugger. Uh, you have 586 career home runs. You you know, he has some serious pop. And Foster Travis has one really special MVP year. Uh, right after they won a World Series, he had, I think, 50-something home runs. So uh, and another pretty easy pick. There were other guys that kind of, you thought about like you know Ken Griffey Senior, an icon kind of guy, but Foster just that peak season just kind of outweighs pretty much anyone else that I was thinking about. So very true, and even pointing out to Ken Griffey Junior. I mean, I mean from going second half of his career, Griffey, yeah, yeah, it, it definitely a a decline, um, not a decline like some other uh, you know superstars, but definitely not the years like he had in Seattle. So uh, he of course is a guy that you know, I'm sure you and I were just thinking about, but you know guys that performed a lot better, or of course had a little bit of a better primer, longer uh, career with, as a Cincinnati Red. But that pretty much sums up the, in, I'm sorry, the lineup, Alex, and the uh, starting nine. We'll now go to the starting five for the rotation. I will say uh, it was an interesting list I had to make up because, you know, there's not a lot of current Reds players, I would say right now, that are going to be like slam dunks. You know, in the last 20 years, the Reds have been, they've had some good years, but they haven't had some like dynasty type of years where it's been right. three, four years of good baseball so uh had to do a lot of digging on this one but i'll let you go first alice with your five i'll give you my five and then of course we'll discuss yeah travis pretty much like you mentioned just now it was pretty hard to make a five the there's some solid options but a lot of it's kind of similar players and it's kind of hard to kind of pick and choose but i'll go ahead and just rattle off my five names and then we can talk uh jose rijo i think was one of the guys who i said this guy for sure has to be in the five um i also have jim maloney Buck, sorry, Bucky Walters, Noodles Han, which is a great baseball name, and then uh, Tom Seaver, who was just not in his Mets prime in any way, but still had some good years. Uh, I would say some so-so years, but just for the purposes of this list, he makes the cut. Travis, tell me about your five. 
Yeah, so we of course have some similarities. Um, I have uh, Jose Rijo. Rijo, I think. Rijo. Uh, I do have Noodles Han. Uh, a great. I think it's honestly six years with the Reds in like 1900. That is uh, is pretty awesome. Uh, also, Bucky Walters. Uh, and then the two different names I have are Epa Rixie and Dolph. I think it's Lequeux. I, I, yeah, I'm not Again, sure. I'm sorry. The, the, I, I think some of these names, man. I, yeah, I, I would guess Luke, but I, I have no idea. It could no be idea. Luke. Yeah. The, the Q and all, it's almost like a French last name, but, uh, those are my five, Alex. Um, I guess, you know, for me, I'll basically, I'll just kind of discuss why I went with some of these, uh, other names, of course. Well, you know, Rihu, I think he pitched in the, uh, um, Riho. 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 My God. Yeah. You'll get it. I'm losing it. <laughs> uh, but my one guy, Dolph, uh, and then of course, uh, his last name is Luke. Luke. It that, says Luke. Okay, Luke cool. has a pronunciation, but uh, basically was a Cincinnati Red from uh, 1918 all the way to 1929. Twelve good years, almost a uh, just barely above a three ERA, so a 309 ERA, a 121 ERA plus. Uh, a lot of innings, of course. Just one of those guys that you know over 150 under, over 150 wins. Barely above a three RA. I look at those numbers and I, I got to say, you know, this guy's definitely an all timer. I feel like in my mind had some MVP votes in some of the years, but that's my kind of case for him. And then looking also at uh, Epa Rixie, uh with him, he's on the all time war leader. I think he's at almost like a 40 something war for the Cincinnati Reds. Um, and basically with him, you know, 266 career wins, spent 13 years with the Reds, uh, 333 ERA. Uh, that's a 118 ERA plus back in, you know, the 1920s. But some of these guys, you know, just looking at it, the wins, the ERA, it's all their innings pitch, just guys that played almost full decades with these teams back in the early part of the days. Um, really, that's kind of the stuff that caught my eye, of course. And some of these guys have just really good totals when it comes to strikeouts or not allowing too many walks or, of course, innings pitch. So that's kind of my two cents with these two guys. What do you got for your uh, yeah. two differences? Yeah, I'll cover the guys that, you know, we have disagreements on. So you don't have Jim Maloney, is that correct? No. Yeah, no, so, no. so Jim Maloney, I have his page up here. Um, he only pitched for 12 seasons in the bigs. 11 years of those were with Cincinnati. Uh, a one, sorry, a 117. ERA plus and he just had a nice little stretch Travis from 1962 till about 1967 where he was at uh, like a 115 OPS sorry 115 ERA plus or higher um, for those straight seasons and he peaked out in the middle with like a 133 a 148 and a 140 OP or ERA plus in three straight years um, got some MVP votes in those years in the mid 60s um, no Cy Young votes. I'm not sure. I don't know when the Cy Young was first uh, initiated, but it seems kind of weird that he didn't get any votes or any consideration at all. And he definitely should have been eligible because, I mean, 1960s and 70s, yeah, there definitely was, you know, Cy Young votes going out those days. So it's so interesting how he got MVP votes in three different years, but never got a Cy Young vote, according to what I'm looking at here on, on Baseball Reference. But, uh, yeah, Travis, overall, just kind of a solid pitcher, had a solid prime. Um, it kind of, this, this prime is kind of landing right in the middle of that kind of, Leading up to that 68, of course, Bob Gibson, you know, year of the pitcher. Um, so, you know, he pitched in a very pitcher-friendly era and was able to excel in that era. The other guy, uh, Tom Seaver, of course, many of you probably heard of Tom Seaver. Um, I think just passed away during the last baseball season, but uh, was an all-time great with the Mets, has three set on with the Mets, but we're talking about the Reds right now. And the Reds, he did pitch with them for six seasons, a 116 ERA plus. So by no means his Mets self at that time. But still, Travis actually did have a season where with 14 wins and two losses. So that's like a great you know record. He led baseball 
in wins that year, um, both the AL and the NL, which is surprising at 14 wins that that actually was enough to get the job done uh, in only 166 innings pitched. But in that season, a 140 ERA plus. I really picked them, Travis, just for kind of this one really good standout year. A 140 ERA plus was great in my mind um, to be a 36-year-old Tom Seaver. He got second in Cy Young voting, which it's hard to even think that like they gave him, I mean, they just kind of knew what kind of guy he was and like yeah. he was like a Hall of Fame type guy. So they gave him tons of credit for that season, I guess. But it'd be so funny if he actually did win one with the Reds and like I feel like no one thinks of him as a Red in any way. I didn't think of him as a Red at all until making this list. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, he just kind of snuck in onto my list in that fifth spot. I think, you know, at the very least, you're getting a Hall of Famer, you know, that can talk to the other pitchers yeah. in the in the in the rotation. So yeah, him and uh, him and Noodles Han could have a good conversation. So <laughs> yeah, very good point. <laughs> uh, so that that sums up the five. You know, Alex, some of these lists, I think, with our starting five rotations, I, I I feel like we could we could debate all day long about this stuff. But sometimes you just have names that you've never even heard of, or guys that you just kind of are. I, I feel like I just put a guy on a list because I'm I'm like. It's just it, I, I the numbers look solid enough. And exactly, things make sense. It's so. like okay, I can look at these five different guys, but this guy just looks like it's pretty solid. The longevity's all there. What we basically what each of us you know look at what we value, um, and that's why of course putting him on the list. But we'll move now, of course, to the ninth inning closer, Alex. And of course, looking at this list, there's a lot of good you know Reds closers um, from you know back in the '80s to the '90s to nowadays, but uh, for me, Alex, I went with Aroldis Chapman. So a Chapman, of course, everyone knows pitching, closing for the Yankees right now, started his career with the Reds and was just, it was so funny how locked down he was for just a low-key market. Um, I think he actually was able to actually hit 106 or 105 at San Diego one time in the early 2010s. Um, it was, I think, rec- recorded at possibly one of the fastest pitches of all time. So mm-hmm, yeah. um, just an absolute flamethrower. But for him... Uh, doesn't have the all-time saves leader uh, for the Cincinnati Reds, but just looking at his numbers, you know, a 2.17 ERA, uh, that, north of a 180 ERA plus, just so locked down. I, I just love to see that. And, of course, the strikeouts. You're looking at north of, uh, you know, 500 strikeouts in six seasons. So he's almost getting to 100 strikeouts a season as a closer. So really, really impressive with that. So he is my ninth inning guy. Alex, who do you got for yours? Yeah, so we went a different way. We went a different way um, on this. And uh, like you said, lots of great options. But I ended up going with Rob Dibble, Travis. Rob Dibble, six years as a Cincinnati Red. Um, I would say one thing that stands out to me looking at his page is it's a very short prime. Um, his ERA plus as a Red is only 139, much lower than Chapman. Mm-hmm. But looking at just like his peak few seasons, which was right in the era of 1990 was kind of in the middle of his peak. And that is when they won the world series. Um, I think he was a very important piece of that team and his prime really helped them in a big way. You mentioned Chapman getting close to a hundred strikeouts, right? Dibble actually in four straight seasons as a red had over a hundred strikeouts wow. in 1989 had 141 strikeouts in all these years. He's uh, usually averaging of over 80 innings pitched up to 99 innings pitched in 1989 so travis one thing i also mentioned about him uh like a, a 1.74 era in 1990 i think 1990 might be his best season uh looking at era era plus and and stuff like that but one other extra thing that kind of pushed him over the edge in my mind as well he had a very legendary 1990 postseason so he was the mvp of the nlcs he appeared in four games through five innings allowed 
one walk, zero hits, zero runs in 16 batters faced with 10 Ks. Wow. That is completely another another level of locking it down. Move on to the World Series. Uh, Gets actually a win in a weird way. Three games he appeared for 4.2 innings, had four Ks, three hits, but no runs. So that means he pitched a total of... Where is the number here? 9.2 innings in the in the playoffs combined. Allowed zero total runs, only three hits. Um, World Series ring. So I think that this little stretch he had, he just was pretty much his best. His best self yeah. happened to be right there in the postseason, which was so huge for the Reds. Got their World Series ring. So I thought it was a super awesome little discovery I found with that postseason pitching. Obviously, just... Uh, a very short prime, but a very important one, I think, for the Reds franchise. So I'm with Dibble Travis. I think Chapman's also a great pick for the upside. And, you know, Chapman, I think, has a, you know, Dibble is not a Hall of Famer. I don't think he was that close to being a Hall of Famer. Um, but Chapman will have a case, I think, some point in the future. We'll, we'll see when we get there. But um, I love Dibble's upside in this prime, so I went with him. No, and definitely a guy that, same with Chapman, brought the heat. Um, Absolutely. I think fastball is probably topping out at, like, 102. Uh, just a great... Uh, you know, setup man, if you want, or even a closer. But I, I remember that I think one moment I do remember seeing, you know, highlights and clips, but someone on the Cubs, I think, was facing him and they pulled down a bunt. And I think Dibble was just really, really ticked off from how the inning was going. And I remember he picked up the baseball and he just threw it as hard as he could at the Cubs players back <laughs> and i'm just thinking like this guy probably is running down the line and he just gets just gets smoked in the back by he something got, he, he got shot by a sniper uh, yeah he's probably just thinking like oh, what, what the hell was that did i pull a muscle or something like that but it was dibble that just threw a line dog at his back and it kind of started a little bit of a of a you know a, a clearing of the benches but uh <laughs> just a cool moment or a funny moment at least with what he was able to do of course with that mile an hour of a pitch but uh yeah so Good pick right that, Alex. Uh, that pretty much sums up, of course, all of the all-time Reds. A very, very good team. A very good lineup. Um, but we'll move on to another team in the National League Central, Alex. And in my opinion, probably the team of the Central, uh, the all-time St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, this team has just been an absolute royalty, I feel like, of the past 100 years. Uh, you know, I feel like every, almost every decade they're getting a championship. It's somehow the Cardinals are sprinkling in a championship somewhere. Uh, a clutch franchise, but they've been around for 140 years. Started out in 1882 as the St. Louis Brown Stockings. Then from 83 to 98, 1898, they went from the Brown Stockings to the Browns. Then in 1899, they were the St. Louis Perfectos. And then rounding out in 1900, they became the St. Louis Cardinals all the way to 2021. So uh, glad they picked the Cardinals. Uh, it'd be funny if they were the Perfectos for. I like that Perfectos. Almost yeah, hundred something years. It'd be, it'd be pretty interesting, you know, <laughs> hearing that name. But uh, yeah, so that will be 140 years of Cardinals history. Me and Alex, of course, trying to stay within the 1900s and above. But Alex, we'll start with the catching spot. I'll go with you first. Uh, your all-time Cardinals catcher. All right, Travis. Yeah, for my all-time Cardinals catcher, I ended up going with Ted Simmons. So Ted Simmons is someone who had time with the Cardinals and I believe the Red Sox. Um, but I just liked his numbers with the Cardinals quite a bit. He is someone, Travis, who, of course, just very recently got inducted to the Hall of Fame off the Veterans Committee. Um, it's awesome to see him get that kind of credit. I think he really did deserve it. Um, I think his numbers really speak for themselves. They're kind of underrated. I understand why at the time he might not gotten voted in. The average was not always great, but usually around 300, which is a very, very good for a catcher. Um, 
with St. Louis, Travis, 13 years, a 127 OPS plus, a truly phenomenal hitter, um, switch hitter. Just for a catcher to do doing what he did at the plate is totally awesome. Um, I don't know much about his defense, I'll be honest. And there's another really good option um, at catcher who's a great defender, we know. But what I will say is the peak hitting seasons are MVP like with St. Louis for uh, for uh, uh, Ted Simmons. So up to like a 142 OPS plus in some years. Um, Sixth in MVP voting at times, ninth in MVP, ninth in MVP another year, tenth another year. So, getting serious credit at his peak. Um, for some reason, they you know, eight-time All-Star, Silver Slugger kind of guy, didn't get Hall of Fame love until just recently. But I'm happy he's in now, and uh, I'm good with that pick. So, Travis, who do you got at catcher? Yeah, it was a debate between Simmons and Yadier Molina, but I actually went with Simmons as well. Oh, um, nice, nice. Yeah. So I, of course, looking at numbers, you know. I'm a big Yadier fan. I love the defense. He, I think he has almost four platinum gloves. Um, and like we said, that's basically you're the best fielder no matter what position you are in your league. So uh, Yadi just being a great backstop. But the hitting, of course, is not anything almost near league average. I think it's his career uh, OPS plus is like a 98 or 97. So mm. definitely uh, a below league average hitter. Uh, which, you know, I'm fine with if you're a catcher. If you're a catcher that's just focused on the defense, I'd rather you be a better defensive catcher than a better offensive catcher. So really, of course, like the the kind of style that Yadier brings. But with Ted Simmons, I think I looked at the numbers and, you know, I mean, some of the years were really, really impressive. I mean, a 908 OPS in 1977 with the Cardinals. And then also just his career, a 785 OPS. That's a 118 OPS plus in his uh, career playing baseball. But yeah, I mean, you know, overall, even looking at the defensive numbers, he had a defensive war uh, in his career at a um, 5.2. But of course, you got to factor in the last five to seven years are all in the negative. So as you're getting older, of course, the defense is getting worse, worse and worse. Sure. So you probably look at it before those years. He almost has close to maybe an eight defensive war. Honestly, pretty good. You know, not not going to be. Uh, most guys are going to be honestly a one or maybe even a two war every single year at defense because. Um, offense, they'll, they'll earn the, that offensive war a little bit easier. But right. uh, Ted Simmons, yeah, I, I think he had to be the guy. I think getting the Hall of Fame vote uh, a couple last year in the Veterans Committee um, makes it a pretty easy pick for me. Uh, the offense was just clearly much, much better. Um, but, of course, I know Yadier has been kind of like that marquee catcher, winning those championships with the Cardinals, being kind of that locker room and clubhouse guy. Um, yeah, so but, I, but Ted Simmons, I think, is definitely the good pick for starting catcher. Um, anything else on on Simmons? Yeah, I think I, I I like the way you kind of broke it down with like the defense pick versus the offensive pick. Uh, Yadi will have a very good chance, I think, at making the Hall of Fame. Uh, he has his interesting kind of case. Um, I know some of his teammates, the pitchers Wainwright and like Jack Flaherty, they say this is the goat catcher. This is the best catcher ever, which is really kind of funny that we don't even have him as the best catcher in franchise history. But you know, that's just the way it goes. Um, you know, Yadi was a part of some great teams, and it, it's very hard to like uh use like data and like stats to like say how good of a how good of a defender is this catcher because it's hard to do things like measuring um framing and it's hard to measure uh your game calling and how much you help a pitcher but one thing that is big for Yachty's uh case defensively is he is an elite uh guy at catching uh, runners from stealing he is elite at throwing guys out i think there was some stat that since Yachty became in the league the Cardinals have allowed like 
hundreds of fewer stolen bases than the next closest team. Like yeah. just elite yeah. at chopping down base runners. So, you know, Yadi, this was a huge shout out, but I'm glad we both kind of agree that 10 Simmons was a good pick. Uh, probably going to move to first base now. Yeah. And Alex, I'll say this, the right side of the infield, first and second, I, I think these are just two definite slam dunks. I mean, really not much to discuss. First base, our pool holes, second base, Rogers, Hornsby. Um, these guys will be, I think, on a couple other lists that we make in the future. But uh, two all-time greats. I mean, looking even at Pujols, the prime of Pujols is unlike anything else most people have ever seen. His numbers go up with, honestly, almost any single guy in the game of baseball when it comes to hitting. Uh, he could do it all. And then, of course, Rogers Hornsby, same thing. Some people, again, still say, one of the, if not the greatest right-handed hitter of all time in Rogers Hornsby had a couple, I think of 400 or more higher batting average seasons. So guy could do it all was a power hitter in his time playing second base. Um, I know guys, I think back then that were, you know, watching Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, you're having this guy that plays second base, put up almost the same power numbers as, you know, a guy like Ruth. And you're like, I, I just can't believe this, but um, that's my right side, Alex. I'm interested to see if you have anything different. Yeah, so right side, like you said, there's two guys that are various obvious picks. They have to be on this team. Um, first base, I mentioned, Charis, I might do something a little sneaky. Oh, God, here it comes. I know. So I actually have Johnny Myers as my first baseman. Okay. So I'll, I'll explain oh, that pick. First, real quick, I'll mention second baseman is going to be Rogers Hornsby, best second baseman of all time, and that's easily his primary position. You know, you could probably move him somewhere else, but I think second base, it's a great spot. There's no one that played second base like him. So the batting, the offense that he provided uh, as a second baseman is, you know, second to none. So uh, moving on to Johnny Myers, Travis, as my first baseman. And, uh, and, and looking at his numbers, I was very upset because. How could you? Yeah, it's like. You're right. How could you leave him off? But when you have pool holes, you're going to have to leave him off. But it's just kind of like there right. are definitely some players on this list that you're just kind of like. Oh my god! Like, like, like they played the have, same could position. Could you played yeah. somewhere else, maybe for a couple like seasons? But yeah, yeah. So, so Myers Travis, six years with the Cardinals, all six years only played uh, first base, except for apparently his rookie year. He played like a couple. I think it was like eight games in like right field, but like that's not much to go off of. But Travis, just to kind of lay out how good he was as a Cardinal in all six seasons, his lowest OPS plus in a season was one fifty six. Which is like that's what an MVP might get for their OPS plus for a season. He has uh, th four of his six seasons there. He had over a 170 OPS plus. Honestly, like Mike Trout, like OPS plus numbers in terms of the consistency. A 174 in his second season, then a 176, a 178, which led the National League, then a 177, which again led the National League. Both those seasons, those last two, um, he had a. Uh, uh, second place in MVP finish, which is just like shows how impressive he was, I guess. A batting title to his name led the MLB in home runs in 1940. Such a just an absolutely phenomenal uh, six year stretch at the plate. Travis um, became a New York Giant and then had to go to military service time for three years uh, for World War II. Travis, honestly, I wonder what his career numbers would look like. We say this a lot about a lot of guys. I love saying that word, yeah. But, uh, you know. Playing from age 23 to 40 seems like it should be a good number, a good career, but only 15 years because of that service time. So uh, did not make it to some major career milestones. And Travis, this is a guy who I just had to find a way to squeeze him onto this team because he also 
was a Yankee and a Giant. And we already did those teams, and he wasn't gonna, he wasn't on either team because, you know, first base was really dense and there was no other options. But, uh, Travis, I could not feel comfortable going through this whole exercise of all these divisions and never mention Johnny Mize because he's one of the best hitters ever. Um, by OPS plus a career 158, just, you know, a true, true all time great hitter. And I don't think anyone, a lot of people don't even know his name. So I had to shout him out here. He's my first baseman. Um, Pools is, of course, a legend, and I'll probably be talking about him in a little bit, too. So we can move on to the left side now, Travis. Perfect, perfect. Okay, yeah. No, that, that's definitely a good analysis. He's definitely, you know, there's so many guys that, uh, you know, get left off when, you know, you do teams like the Rays or you do teams like maybe even the Blue Jays where I feel like there are so many guys that were just kind of like, or even like the Padres were just like, oh, my goodness, like, I guess I got to put this guy here, but he's just so awful. But you, it's like you name him, but you do not name a guy like Johnny Mize, and you're just right. like, there's just too many great players at maybe one position where you can't say them all. But um, good analysis on that. No, definitely not going to, of course, disagree with that. He had some of the greatest hitting seasons of all time. But um, Alex, for the left side, for me, um, shortstop, I have the wizard, Ozzy Smith. I think he honestly might have the best defensive war of all time when it comes to any single player. So one of the best defensive players of all time. And then for third base, I had Ken Boyer. Uh, Ken Boyer was a guy, I think you believe I played in the, uh, in the 1960s, but, uh, again, he, I think was just a model of consistency. Um, actually 55 to 69, he played third base for the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, actually only played them from 55 to, uh, 65, but has an MVP as a St. Louis Cardinal at third base. Um, again, just every single season, uh, a, around a 300 hit hitting average he was a 293 hitter uh with a 119 ops plus in his 11 years as a cardinal uh but i always keep telling you this alex you know interested to see i think this might be one of the weakest spots in this roster in this lineup i really wonder in about 10 years if we'll be, we'll be saying nolan arenado as the third base spot quite possibly just for defensively and also providing just a very good power bat um it will be very interesting to see what happens but i have ken boyer and ozzy smith yeah, Travis, shortstop, Ozzie Smith, we completely agree. Um, it's hard to say who's the best defender ever, but Ozzie Smith has as good of a case as just anyone, just truthfully. Shortstop shortstop and catcher and maybe center field are like the, probably the most important positions. Yeah. No one played shortstop quite like Ozzie Smith did. Um, a part of some important teams in Cardinals history as well. And what's crazy, I think that I saw is I think he has 75 career homers. And his biggest homer is in that, I think, a, uh, 1985 uh, NLCS against the Dodgers where it's just an iconic home run but you got to look at his career home run numbers to really think and put that home run into context that this guy doesn't hit home runs at all and he hits this one home run that's probably one of the biggest home runs of Cardinals history um, it's it's pretty crazy when you see that kind of numbers yeah 100% and Travis I want to make sure I get this you know exactly right but um, I wanted to bring something up about Ozzy Smith that uh, switch hitter of course you mentioned that, you know, really monumental home run he hit uh, in the World Series, right? Uh, NLCS. NLCS, okay. Um, and Travis, we were discussing just now, like, he... Surprisingly, if you look at his career splits, he has five career regular season home runs against righty pitchers. For whatever reason, all his pop was from the right-handed batter's box. He hits the biggest home run of his career... Uh, biggest home run probably of his like era of Cardinals team and somehow only he was able to do that five times in his whole long career but did it in the probably the biggest at bat of his life which is so funny how can you have five home runs 
from the lefty batter's box um, in the regular season, and then you just do it in your biggest at bat. It just crazy. It kind of the makings of a legend in yeah. a way. Yeah. But um, yeah, Travis definitely one of the best defenders ever, so he has to get the spot. And Travis for third base, I also do have Ken Boyer. Um, Interesting. Okay. Lo- lo- looking at his numbers, Travis, sixty-two point eight career WAR. I'm kind of surprised he's not in the Hall of Fame. Um, looking at some of his numbers, yep. almost kind of Gritch-like in my mind a little bit. Um, we kept talking about how Bobby Gritch was not a Hall of Famer with like 70 war or something like that. But an MVP and then like a good stretch of like six or seven years where he was like top 15 in MVP voting. Um, just in the prime of his career, pretty much making all-star games every single year. Being like around like a 130 OPS plus pretty consistently. Um, I'm just kind of surprised with 62.8 war, he didn't get more Hall of Fame love. Got five gold gloves, so the writers liked his um, defense, and you know the bat is also very solid. So, kind of interesting. Um, but he he overall has an underrated career. Did not, did not know much about him until doing this this exercise. But you know, as a St. Louis Cardinal, a 119 OPS plus in the career, um, I like that a lot. So he's my pick. Uh, probably going to move to outfield now. Definitely, definitely. And so my three outfitters, Alex, um, all Hall of Famers. Uh, I think it's easy to say, you know, Stan Musial, Stan the man, um, all-timer. Mr. Cardinal, you're right. And also probably the best comparison to someone like Ted Williams ever. You know, both guys are lefties. Both guys were just one of the the two, possibly the two greatest hitters of all time, just pure hitters. Um, So Stan the man, of course, is one of the outfield spots. Next guy up is Lou Brock. Lou Brock, again, an all-time Cardinal, best known for his speed. He had the all-time stolen base record until Ricky Henderson, of course, took it from him. But an all-time great uh, contact bat, speedster, defender, um, everything that you like about pretty much a leadoff guy playing center field, that's Lou Brock. And then for my third pick, Alex, I went with Joe Medwick. And Joe Medwick played with the Cardinals from 1932 to about 1939. And I think he finished up his career in 1947 and 48 with the Cardinals as well. But, you know, this is the last pick I was I was really judging on who I really should go with. Um, Joe Medwick, he has an MVP as a Cardinal. Uh, OPS as a Cardinal in 11 years, a 917. That's a 142 OPS plus in his career as a Cardinal. 335 batting average. So, uh, I mean, just a great contact bat, um, extra base hit machine as well. Almost 400 doubles uh, with the Cardinals in his 11 years and 152 home runs. But that was my outfield. I think, of course, the first two were slam dunk, easy picks. And then the next guy up was um, definitely a good analysis with a bunch of other guys that I was looking at. But Joe Medwick, with what he was able to provide, um, really, really liked what he brought. So that's my three. Alex, who do you got? Yeah, Travis, so... I mentioned how Pools might make another appearance on my team, Travis. I actually am using Albert Pools in the outfield. Uh, for those that don't know, his first couple seasons, one of them in which he got a lot of MVP votes, he actually was a primary left fielder. Um, kind of surprising because we think of Pools today as like a slower guy, but back then, definitely athletic enough to be have some decent speed in left field and played a, dec- uh, played a decent, a decent uh, defensive left field at the time. So for me, Travis, uh, to to get Mize into my lineup, I said I will sacrifice one of my outfielders, uh, like a guy like Medwick, like you mentioned, who is super underrated. But I said I'll put Pools in the outfield to make this work. So Pools is my outfield. Stan Musial, 100% Travis, has to be in the outfield. Um, Mr. Cardinal in every way, one of the best hitters of all time. Um, just the numbers on baseball reference are like 
uh, you know, some of the best you'll see outside of guys like Ted Williams and Babe Ruth, like just seeing how much bold you're going to find, how many times he led the National League in so many stats. Um, it's really, really impressive. And my chance, my third outfield pick is actually going to be with Jim Edmonds. So impressive. Jim, okay. So Jim Edmonds, um, I think that, you know, had a great little stretch with the Angels. Um, I think his best stretch is with St. Louis, though, a 143 OPS plus in eight years as a Cardinal. That's super impressive. In 2000, actually got fourth in MVP voting with a 147 OPS plus. Um, multiple gold gloves. Um, gold gloves in most years. Uh, might be every year. No, most years. A couple years did not get it as a Cardinal, but uh, the first like six years he was a Cardinal, he was a gold glove winner who received probably MVP votes. Got fifth in MVP voting in 2004, Travis. A very underrated season, 04, for him in St. Louis. A 171 OPS plus playing gold glove defense in center field. I'm really surprised he only got fifth in voting. Um, Obviously, early 2000s, lots of great power talent going on in the baseball. But A guy by the name of Barry Lamar Bonds. <laughs> Obviously deserves obviously stealing, he, stealing all the thunder. Obviously he deserved first place and his own teammate Albert Pools probably had a very good case to be above Edmonds himself. But can't imagine there's many other players besides those two that deserve you know a lot more credit than uh, than Jim Edmonds. Overall, a total crime. He's not a Hall of Famer. We talk about this all the time, Travis. He will be in the outfield whenever we eventually make our Hall of Fame snub team. 60 career war, a great defender, a great lefty power bat playing a really important defensive position in center. So uh, he's my pick to be on this team. Travis, I snubbed some legends. I, I was going to say some I, legends I, I I'm think, leaving off. And if he was still alive this day, I'd say I think you owe Lou Brock a big apology. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Travis, Lou Brock um, deserved tons of credit and is a great, you know, uh, kind of four tool player. Um, I just think that Jim Edmonds, if we're talking peak, I think he just has him beat in terms of the OPS plus for sure. And it's still gold glove defense, uh, you know, up to 10 steals in 2000. So like I could, you could argue five tools, maybe the, maybe the, the running is not as good. Of course, Brock was an all time elite base stealer, but I think at the end of the day, Edmonds, um, I just like that pick and Travis Medwick, you mentioned also really hurt to leave him off my team. That MVP season, Travis, he had a triple crown. How many times has a player had a triple crown that is not a household name? Yeah, very true. Almost it's always a superstar that we've all heard of, but Joe Medwick um, got the job done in his season. Travis, Kurt Flood, someone else, was a part of that. It was important Bob Gibson years when they won the World Series, Mm -hmm. made the World Series multiple times. Also, he was super influential off the field for like free agent reasons. Um, I think he pretty much was the founder of free agency. He pretty much told his team, like, you're not going to trade me, like, even though my contract, I have a choice. Like my con- my contract is over. <laughs> yeah. You can't trade me now. My contract's over, and I'm gonna go uh, to the team that wants to sign me. Kind of influential for that reason. He got a lot of flack for. I think he like won a court case. I'm not super in on that history, but uh, Kurt Flood has like all star level stats, and also off the field was important to the Cardinals franchise. Travis, so many good options for the outfield, but I went with Pujols, Edmonds, Musial. Definitely an odd kind of outfield, but I like it. So no, it's definitely an odd outfield. I know most people when they think Pujols in the outfield, they think of you know Angels Pujols in the outfield, and I think that would just probably be the worst thing that your eyes could probably look at. <laughs> I could see that guy trying to track fly balls. And forty-two-year-old Dodgers Pujols playing left would not be a good sight. But yeah, back yeah. in the day, it wouldn't be so bad. I no, promise. exactly, exactly. Back in the day when he was, uh, when you know his legs were fresh and he he could actually you know get down the line pretty quickly. 
Uh, no, definitely. I, I see that there. And of course, I was actually thinking you might put him at third base because I was right. wondering about who could you leave off this list. And I'm like, you're going to have Musial. You're going to have Brock. You, you got you got to have these legends and it's a big surprise. But Brock, of course, is a guy like Ichiro Suzuki where he is not going to have the best on base slugging. So that, of course, is going to hurt his OPS and his OPS plus when you look at those numbers. Average, of course, a 293 average. So always hitting around 300 every single season. And then, of course, the stolen bases. That's the real reason why most people put him in. You know, in 1974, Alex led MLB 118 stolen bases. I mean, it's other world numbers. For I, sure. I, I mean, nowadays we see a guy steal 60 two bases and we're just kind of thinking man what, what, a, what a great season you know and this guy of course had 118 stolen bases in a season that's just it, it's just it's just right crazy to look yeah. at that so yeah all-time stolen base leader before henderson you know declared himself the greatest of all time yeah so. and then also with joe medwick you know kind of very similar numbers to jim edmonds but of course jim Edmonds was the guy that i was definitely comparing with medwick it's just a cool guy you want to keep on your list because he had so many good moments in the playoffs as well as just being a pure you know, not many guys can play center field and have that those kind of power numbers, unless your name is Mike Trout, Mantle, Mays. Right. So um, I definitely see that pick. And again, we'll talk about Edmonds a lot in January. We talk about maybe possible snubs for the Hall of Fame. He is a definite possible. And, you know, the way he was snubbed out of the ballot um, really should be back on the ballot, you know, and hopefully the Veterans Committee can somehow get him in later on in the future. But that sums up our outfield and our team. Alex, we can agree this. It is a very dangerous offense. Um, it's probably one of the best offenses um, that we've that we've seen and that we've made. So, uh, yeah, so far it's probably like it definitely has a case to be like the best NL team so far. Yeah, it's, was, up, it's up there. At least. I was going to say easily a top five offense so far. What we've done. So, uh, it, and also when you look at the defensive side too, it's got defense. It's got any anything you want. You want speed. You want power. You want you know contact. It's got it all. So, St. Louis Cardinals. That is the lineup. Alex, we'll now move to the starting pitching. And so um, here are my five, and then you give me your five, and we'll talk about it. But, of course, number one, Bob Gibson has to be at the number one. He is the prime starting pitcher on the team. Number two, I have Adam Wainwright. Number three, I have Dizzy Dean. Number four, I have Harry, I think it's Brasheen. And then number five, I have Max Lanier. So those are my five guys. Alex, who do you have for your starting rotation? Yeah, Travis. Uh, a lot of similar names, of course. That's going to happen when we're doing this kind of exercise. Um, but so starting with off, Travis, has to be Gibson number one spot. There's just no denying it. Gibson is all-time Cardinal. Um, Dizzy Dean also on my list, Travis. Uh, Harry Brasheen, I hope that's how you say it, yep. also on my list. Yep. Adam Wainwright, I think, has made his case at this point, has to be on the list. And my fifth guy is Chris Carpenter. Was that the same five, Travis, or was there a difference? I had one different guy. I think I might have had uh, Max Lanier. Okay. Lanier. But you know what, man? It's I, I, I was glad because if you did not bring it up, I was going to say I, if we had an honorable mention, Chris Carpenter has been a part of so many championship teams for that Cardinals organization. So, Tell, uh, tell me about your, your guy I left off. Yeah, so Max Lanier. Let me get, try to find where he's actually at on this uh, war list. I, he actually might even be on the war list, but uh, I, I'm pretty sure he played back in the uh, early 20s, um, actually with 38 to 1953, uh, pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, 12 years with the Cardinals, and then two years with the Giants, and then um, not one year with the St. Louis Browns. But uh, a 284 ERA in 12 seasons with the Cardinals, that's a 133 ERA plus, um, just about 1,500 innings pitched with the Cardinals as well. Uh, never won any Cy Youngs, even though he was the ERA 
leader in 1943 at a 1.90. Wow. Uh, and on a 178 ERA plus that season uh, with 15 wins for the Cardinals. Uh, but kind of just a low-key guy. Uh, found him. You know, as I'm doing my analysis, you kind of find some guys that you're like, holy crap, who's this guy? You know, how have I missed this guy for my whole entire life? But yeah, uh, yeah, no, really impressed with the numbers. He he was a big um, him and Chris Carpenter were one of the couple last guys that I was looking at, and I was just like, it's tough to leave off Chris Carpenter. But just looking at these numbers, I I really like what Lanier brought um, to the Cardinals in the '40s. So that's my pick, Alex. Again, Carpenter, you can go with a lot of different things. The 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 fact of just being a winner, he was fantastic with that. So yeah, I think he had just had, he had some really impressive peak seasons um, that really caught my eye. Uh, he also definitely has a case to have one more Cy Young than he actually did. Um, so, Travis, a Cy Young winner in 2005, Chris Carpenter, eighth in MVP voting that year, just a really great uh, 150 ERA plus, was on a really good team, so that helped his voting for sure. The following season, third in Cy Young, 06, a big year for Cardinals history, World Series championship, World Series champs that year. Um, and, Travis, a really underrated 2009. He's aged 34 season, 17-4 and four record, 2.24 ERA that leads uh, the National League. 182 ERA plus leads the National League. Uh, second in Cy Young voting to Tim Lincecum. Overall, I definitely see the case for Lincecum. Lincecum had the workload advantage with more innings pitched and had way, way more strikeouts. So I totally understand the case. Also more war. So if I was a voter, I might have gone Lincecum too. Um, but at the end of the day, the ERA was a big advantage for Carpenter. Um, the ERA plus was almost it was 11 points higher than, than Lincecum's was, 182 versus a 171. It is really crazy that a pitcher had a 182 ERA plus and didn't get it. It's just like yeah. that's such a high figure to be at, um, especially as a 34-year-old. So definitely an underrated career for Chris Carpenter. Um, overall, I like the guy you mentioned. I think you know there's tons of guys who kind of get hidden in the history we don't really think about. Uh, but a 133 ERA plus on the career for – nine years in St. Louis uh, for Chris Carpenter. So he got my, he got the nod from me. Um, lots of guys, lots of ways you could have taken this, but yeah, I, I like Carpenter a lot. Was a workhorse through lots of his career. And uh, I like my pick. So good staff for both of us, I think. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, yeah. And like you said, just so many guys get hit in their careers. Um, for us watching Chris Carpenter's career, it's pretty easy to know what he was able to do right? and how good he was. I think he was um, a just a great pitcher, during that 2011 uh, World Series run, I think, honestly, he was, like, running on, like, short rest for, like, a month and a half, and he still was able to go out there and compete and uh, perform every single time. But, yeah, good good job when it comes to the winning aspect. I know some, you know, me and you will look at that as well. If this guy's just a true champion and winner, that, of course, is a good factor in putting on our list. But, Alex, move to the ninth inning closer role. Um, and for me, I put down basically the, the, the saves leader for the Cardinals. That's Jason Isringhausen. Um it was funny, just his name always brings up because he was one of the guys that left the A's in the Moneyball movie um, because right. uh, he was one of their key parts that left. But um, 217 career saves with the St. Louis Cardinals went to them actually in 2002. So it was with the A's in 2001 and then, of course, went to St. Louis. Uh, but, of course, has the most saves in history. But consistently, honestly, every single year hitting 30 saves a year. Um, and then, of course, the ERA with the Cardinals was a 2.98, so just under a 3. That's a 143 ERA plus for a uh, closing pitcher. Not a great, a tr you know, crazy attractive name to have for a starting pitcher, but, of course, got the job done. 
Um, Cardinals had a lot of other great starting pitchers in their franchise, but I think they had their better primes on other teams. And so I wanted to put down Isringhausen for this. Um, consistently always getting the job done. But Alex, who do you got for your closing role? Yeah, Travis, my closer is actually also Jason Isringhausen. Um, a very, very good seven-year stretch uh, with the Cardinals he had. It's the team he spent the most time with of any other uh, 143 ERA plus in those seven seasons, which is a great figure to be at for a relief pitcher. Um, his career ERA plus is on at 115, and that's just because he had a really bad five years, I guess, with the Mets to start his career. Um, but Travis, at the end of the day, um, I like his numbers a lot. Uh, in St. Louis, in St. Louis, he was you know consistently above like a 150 ERA plus. Some years peaking out like at a 199 in 05 when he was an All Star. So. Uh, tons of great seasons. Uh, definitely a great uh, pickup for them from Oakland, like you mentioned from the Moneyball movie. Uh, Brad Pitt mentions that you know they're losing, they're, they're losing their relief, they're losing their closer yeah. pretty much. They're losing their best reliever. So, but you know what? Looking at that nowadays, I really wouldn't be too crazy upset. I'd rather be more upset losing my first baseman and center fielder, yeah, than losing a closer because which is why the most of the emphasis goes on the Damon Giambi stuff. Exactly, but. exactly. Because relievers, you just don't know much about if, if they could be as effective or you know for you know two or three years so but yeah. yeah but but so at the end of the day very great numbers for Isringhausen as a cardinal travis you mentioned other great historic names um lee smith is someone who is you know hall of famer uh th there's just you know i think it comes down that the seven years Isringhausen put together it meets our criteria which would be like to see five years for this exercise we always aim for that and uh I think also Suter is someone else who like yeah, deserves definitely. tons of credit. I think he was only four years, if I'm not mistaken. It could be five. I'll have to double check. But um, Isringhausen, the seven years, it was a very solid seven years. And the ERA Plus did the job for me. So um, he's my pick as well. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. And that, that sums up everything with the Cardinals organization. Um, the franchise team's really deep. I mean, so far, the Reds and the Cardinals have been really deep when you look at Star um, yeah, the different strengths and weaknesses of the, of the team's. Um, you really can't find too many weaknesses with these organizations. But Alex, we'll now move to the Pittsburgh Pirates. So um, any Pir Pirates fans listening in, you know, this team don't be too bad about don't feel too bad about because it is star studded as well. Oh, yeah. Um, going back again, 140 years. It's funny how some divisions just there's, there's a certain trend with years playing, you know, ALS. You have the Philadelphia A's. That is really the oldest team. And you have the Angels, Rangers, uh, Astros and also uh, the Mariners and it's like these are all just younger teams only being 50 or 60 years old but 140 years for the Pittsburgh Pirates they started out in 1882 as the Pittsburgh Alleghenies <laughs> so the river that runs right behind the stadium that's the Allegheny River and they started out as that name only lasted about eight seasons till 1890 until they changed their name to the Pittsburgh Pirates so ever since them have been the Pittsburgh Pirates but Alex, we'll start out now with the catching position for the Pirates organization. Um, I'll go first. For me, I have down Jason Kendall. Uh, Jason Kendall being just a good contact bat. Played with them during the uh, the 90s. I think maybe a little bit of the 80s. Uh, actually, no, just fully the 90s and then the early 2000s. 1996 to 2004. Uh, great contact bat. Possibly, honestly, one of the fastest catchers of all time as well. 140 stolen bases as a catcher. You don't I mean you're not going to see that even near these days you know salvador Perez ain't gonna go out there and steal four bags in a season no. so 140 stolen bases in a season uh 67 home runs a 306 batting average though so at least a 300 hitter as a catcher and that's a 108 ops plus 805 ops who do you got for your catcher alex 
Cheris, I also have Jason Kendall. Some of his prime seasons as a pirate are just super impressive. Uh, he has a season with this is a, looking at oh sorry that's a shortened season I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna count that as much but um, he has multiple seasons with over a 300 average over a 400 on base and near a 500 slugging it's just a great offense to see from a catcher plus the speed like you mentioned um, his prime to me draws comparisons to like a JT Realmuto type Very good, he, was yeah. able, he was able to put together quite a long career um, being this productive um, and of course his best team was was as a pirate nine years 108 OPS plus. Uh, for me, not a hard pick at all. Based on the other options, I think he was a slam dunk pick. Definitely, definitely. Um, we'll now move to the right side again for the infield. First base, second base. First base, Alex, I have Willie Pops Stargell. Uh, he'll be my first baseman. And then for second base, I have Bill Mazeroski. Again, we all remember him. If you don't, there's a famous clip him hitting a walk-off home run. I think it's Game 7 of the World Series. It walks off the World Series in Game 7, yeah. Walks off the World Series, Game 7, against the Yankees, against the, you know, Mickey Mantle Yankees. Mickey Mantle, um, Yogi Berra, yeah. And so, uh, pretty iconic shot that he did. And then, of course, just the career he put together. Great defense. And then you look at Willie Stargell, uh, one of the best power hitters of all time uh, for the Pittsburgh Pirates, I think in that 1970s, if not 80s, uh, team. So, that's my right side, Alex. Who do you got? Yeah, Travis, so first base, Willie Stargell has to be the pick. There are some other, you know, very talented guys who had some time at first base, but Stargell, a monstrous Hall of Fame career. Looking at his numbers, Travis, I was honestly a bit surprised at how good they were. Some of his peak seasons were just, you know, MVP caliber and just like went above and beyond. And then also some of his numbers in the in the World Series were super impressive too. Um, I think it's a World Series MVP, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, yep. So MVP, World Series MVP lot going for him he was the easy pick some very impressive numbers uh just a, a true slugger travis second base i got a little tricky as well so i had to pick someone else who was kind of a i'm ready for this a second a secondary <laughs> second baseman um not known for this position but i am going with probably the best pirate on the list in my mind i'm going with hannes wagner at second base Definitely not more known to be a shortstop, but definitely a true utility man, Travis. Almost every single season, he played at least five positions in that season. Most years, that number one position is is uh, is shortstop. But in like for example, 19, 1900, which is crazy, we're going back to the year nineteen hundred. Yeah. He played no shortstop at all, and his second most played position was second base. Um, played second base in five different seasons, uh, multiple times at second base. So. At the end of the day, Travis, there's a guy at shortstop I really want to be on this team. So I'm going to go ahead and say, Hannes, you will be playing second base. <laughs> Mazarowski has probably the most important hit in franchise history, which yeah. is a walk-off World Series winning home run. But year to year, Travis, the OPS plus is consistently below 100. So he's a below average hitter, a great defender. But I honestly think the only reason he's in the Hall of Fame is because of that one swing, which, hey, it's the Hall of Fame. So it's really famous and he probably deserves <laughs> yeah. he deserves to be in for that reason but i think just as just based on the regular season numbers um he probably is not a hall of famer at least in my book personally uh so i'm gonna go ahead and get another hall of famer onto my team by moving hannes to, to second so a little bit of trickery a little bit um, trickery yeah but i'm gonna go ahead and do that uh hannes travis i'm sure i'll talk about it when we get to your shortstop because he has to be the pick uh a 205 uh, OPS plus in 1908 is probably one of the best hitting seasons from a from a shortstop of all time. Um, but yeah, Travis, I think at the end of the day, uh, we'll talk about him in a second here. 
probably good to move to the left side. Yeah, and I'll actually let you start. I want to hear you got left side to transition to that shortstop. Cool. So my shortstop, Travis, that uh, I had to get this guy on my team, that's Arky Vaughn. I think Arky Vaughn is one of the most underrated, like, no one knows who Arky Vaughn is, Travis. If you talk to agree. someone who's a big baseball fan, definitely you agree. Arky Vaughn, they're going to say, like, I don't know who that is. But honestly, one of the best primes from a shortstop of all time. 1932, he became a pirate as a rookie season, played there till 1941. So 10 years as a pirate, a 141 OPS plus in that stretch. Travis, in 1935, had possibly the one, one of the craziest offensive seasons I've seen from a shortstop. Uh, 385 average, led the National League. 491 on base percentage, almost 500 on base percentage from a shortstop that led MLB, 607 slugging that led the National League, and a 1098 OPS that led the National League, a 190 OPS plus led all of baseball. Only third in MVP voting. I don't know how. Obviously, one of the best hitting seasons from a, from a shortstop ever. Uh, Overall, Travis. Dizzy Dean stealing the thunder. It looks like. Yeah, I guess so. I, I guess they went with it. I guess they wanted to go a different. But way. But had the it. best war out of anybody that season in NL. NL and uh, the next two guys up didn't even come close to war. So if you look, if you look based on war, he almost had a two and a half, two point five war lead on the next closest guy, which is pretty and pretty amazing. Yeah, Travis, I'm glad you brought that up because the war is something that really likes Arky Vaughn. Nine point eight war in that season. You're talking about the MVP year that I just mentioned. 9.8 the year before that was a 7.3 Travis he was above an 8 war looks like two other times 8.1 in, in 36 8.9 in 38 so multiple seasons he's just racking up major war uh in 10 years as a pirate 67.6 base reference war so he's averaging about as a pirate almost seven war a season that is like consistently you should be getting a lot of MVP consideration, yet only finished top three two different times. Never won the MVP award. He's a Hall of Famer, obviously, but I think he just does not get enough credit. 78 career war. No one knows who this guy is, but you guys <laughs> should know who he is. So I had to I had to find a way to get him on this team so I could talk to you about him. Travis, also nice. I know I noticed high school, Fullerton Union. Um interesting, you know, SoCal, SoCal native Archie That is Vaughn. interesting. Yeah. Um, so I guess him and uh him and Walter Johnson, uh both just great alums. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of talent coming from that program, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, Travis, uh he ha I had to get him on the team, so I just decided to harness you're the utility guy. I'll put you at second. Third base, Travis, after that long ramble, pie trainer. Uh he is, you know, a Hall of Fame guy. I think pie trainer is someone who I don't know. I think he, he gets tons of, I think, you know, I think he's the kind of, in my mind, the easy pick for this team for third base, but there is another option that really had me going back and forth. Um, so I'll go ahead and say pie trainer, less than 40 career war, but a hall of famer, a world series ring, um, only a one Oh seven OPS plus on the career. So just a barely above average hitter, um, but was consistent pretty much year in year out and was a part of some good teams, uh, was a teammate of Vaughn at one point. So, uh, he's my pick. Um, go ahead and tell me who you got, and we'll kind of discuss shortstop and third base positions. So, yeah, so shortstop Alex, of course, I had to go with this, the most iconic guy. That's Hannes Wagner, um, shortstop. Even though it's funny, he you could have put him, I think, at every position besides catcher, and it would have fit the spot because you're right. he's just probably the best and greatest super utility guy of all time. So um, he can fit any single spot. So Hannes Wagner is my shortstop, third base, 
that's where I went with Arkham Vaughn. Um, like you said, with everything you said was perfect. I, I mean, you cannot leave this kind of guy out. He's kind of like a Johnny Mize. It's just his his stats and his numbers are too good to have him off this list. Um, looking at Pi Trainer, I definitely. I, I mean, comparing Arky Vaughn and Pi Trainer, it's 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 apples and oranges because I mean, right. literally, Arky Vaughn's numbers are just so much deeper in certain areas where Pi Trainers are probably more focused on the contact, not really looking at the on base or the slugging because it's only a 107 OPS plus in his career. But, uh, I mean, like you said, Arky Vaughn, you can't leave off. You can't leave off Hannes, um, 130 war for his career. Um, I mean, just some of the numbers, you Other look level at. for sure. Um, he's got some of the most insane numbers of all time. It's, it's just pretty funny looking at his numbers. You know, if the average Joe kind of looked at him right now. They'd probably say, you know, these are good numbers, you know, but I mean, he's only hitting 11 home runs in a season, but you know, back then 11 home runs was like a godlike figure. You could be leading baseball. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, this is pretty much Fernando Tatis Jr. Back then where you're just like, this guy does everything, the defense, the speed, everything. So, um, definitely those two are on the left side of the infield. Um, very, very comfortable with that left side of the infield. It, it brings almost everything that you want in a baseball player. So I, I'm actually, um, I'm really happy to see you manage to get Arky on your team as well yeah. over at third base. Um, we both kind of found creative ways to get him in. Uh, Travis, third base, I have to shout out one other guy. I, I figured you had somebody to shout out because you, you mentioned a little bit ago that you, uh, yeah. you, had, you had a lot of people you wanted to think about. So from 87, Travis, to 1991, it's just a, a five, what is it, a six-year stretch. Um, Bobby Bonilla was a great, great third baseman for this team. Also played some outfield, but two years, three years, his primary spot was third base. Travis, uh Back-to-back -back years of over a 140 OPS plus, then goes to a 132 OPS plus, and the next year almost a 150 at 149 OPS plus. Really underrated four-year stretch he had right there. Uh, led the National League in doubles in, in 91. Um, overall, you know, not an MVP caliber guy, but back-to-back -back seasons in 90 and 91 as top three in voting. So um, it was by far the best stretch of his career, at least in my mind. Um, and the Pirates, you know, third base, Thinking about my pick was Pi Trainer. I think in terms of a peak seasons, I would have to give the edge to Bobby Bonilla for sure. But six seasons versus a whole career of Pi Trainer, also Hall of Famer Pi Trainer versus Bobby Bonilla, who's not. Um, I went with Pi Trainer, but I'll just say that about Bobby Bonilla, did not think he'd be close yeah. to his team, but he really should be. He should be yeah. in that conversation at least. No, very true, very true. I think he's the same guy that's getting paid. He is till yeah. like. 2030 something with the uh, contract the, the, uh, the Mets feels that don't know like every single year the Mets they restructured his deal at one point and they're gonna pay him like two million dollars every July 1st yeah for like 30 years instead of doing like a re regular deal where it's like you know 15 million for four years no he's like I want two million every year for two decades I but. wonder how Steve Cohen yeah feels about just writing that check every year just knowing like what am I doing I'm just <laughs> super strange super I'm just strange. giving this guy some coupons but Anyways, no, yeah, good thing to point out with him because that, that that prime is something to definitely recognize um, with that. But, Alex, we'll now move to the outfield for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, and I'll go first. My three outfielders, um, starting off, of course, with Roberto Clemente. Um, 3,000 hits, all-time great defender. I mean, just a five-tool guy in its name. So he's going to be my one guy uh, that's easily on this list. Another guy is going to be Ralph Kiner. Um, you know, looking at Ralph Kiner, Alex, I mean, he was – the power hitter of his time. I mean, it's funny that he comes into the league in 1946 and leads the NL with 23 home runs. And then the next year, 51 home runs leads baseball. The next year, 40 home run leads baseball. The next year, 54. The next year, 47. The next year, 42. The next year, 37. He led 
baseball in home runs. I think it's the first seven years of his career. It's just crazy. This guy comes into the league and just leads baseball in home runs. It's almost like a Pete Alonso or Aaron Judge, but they just don't stop and they just keep on hurting their opponents. And then you look at the, the OPS pluses. I mean, 186 one year, 185 another year, 173 OPS plus in his second year. I mean, I don't even know if Mike Trout was able to get to a 173 OPS plus in his second year. I mean, it's, it's just it's really phenomenal to look at what he was able to do um, some of these seasons. So uh, Ralph Kiner has to be on that list. One of the greatest power hitters of all time, of course, did not play. I think he only played 10 years. And so right. um, 10 years with his career. So did not play a very long career. But he's on this list easily. And then the next guy, the last guy I have is Paul Warner. Paul Warner was a uh, pirate for uh, 15 years. Pretty much started out in 1926. Has a 74.7 career war. So another guy that really, uh, just a fantastic career. But with the with the Pirates, uh, he had a 340 batting average and an 896 OPS. That's a 136 OPS plus. Over 4,000 total bases. Um, doubles machine 558 with the Pittsburgh Pirates and a lot of triples to 187 triples more triples than home runs uh, for this guy but uh, definitely wanted to point him out as well um, just an absolute uh, machine when it came to the plate so that's my three Alex who do you got yeah Travis so there's some men there's some legends uh, that we're going to talk about that just have to be on this they have to be on their teams. Yeah. And Roberto Clemente is one of them. Like, there's no way you can ever talk about an all-time Pirates team that does not feature Roberto Clemente. Um, the stats speak for themselves. Of course, died during while he was an active player, which yep. is, was such a tragedy. I think it was in the middle of doing a charitable. Uh, you know, I think he was visiting uh, other going, countries. Going back down to, I, I think it's uh, his native country or Puerto Rico, I believe. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's just really uh, you know tragic the way you, of course he passed but besides that Travis just looking at the numbers there's just no denying he was consistently great a part of championship teams uh, super important to the franchise and just a easy ba- uh, just a total lock for the Hall of Fame when he hit the ballot I'm sure so he had to get the nod so Clement is on my outfield Travis also Ralph Kiner what an i'm glad you covered it very well what an underrated start to a career i was going to mention he literally the first seven years of his career he led the national league in uh home runs and six of those were leading mlb in home runs what a crazy start who i've never seen anything like that where someone started their career so hot with power um it's it's like you said it's, it's almost like judge but Judge, of course, is getting injured, but this guy's not. He, he just, just keeps on going. Piling yeah. it on. Yeah. And Travis, a 185 OPS plus in 51, two years prior, a 186 OPS plus. MVP numbers, MVP numbers playing over 150 games, but did not win an MVP award. Not sure how. I mean, obviously, if we're talking about an era with guys like, you know, I'm trying to think about the National League at this time. I, I, my, my thought always goes to the Yankees. I'm like, was Dimaggio playing? Was Mantle playing? But Williams, no. But it turns out uh, some of these years, guys like Muge were winning the award. Guys like Jackie Robinson were winning the award. Of course, legends, legends in their own right. But multiple of these seasons, Kiner was the best hitter in the National League, if not baseball. So Kiner uh, is going to be on my team as well, Travis. My third pick, I was surprised. I really did. I don't know if it's, if it's Wayne or Warner. I had him written down. I took him off. I had to go with Barry Bonds. 
Barry Bonds, of course, there's all the steroids. Same stuff. same exact thing that I did too as well, but I did I did you the other did way. The other way around. Okay. <laughs> and that's that's very fair. I just see some of the peak years of Bonds and I love what I see. Um only played so most people know him as the giant, of course, but seven years with Pittsburgh to start his career. Um in the last one, two, three years, he led the National League in OPS and OPS plus. And then that that last season as a Pittsburgh Pirate, he had his best season by far as a Pirate at 204 OPS plus, another level completely, led baseball in that stat, led baseball in on-base and slugging and OPS and walks, led uh, the National League in runs, um, had a nice uh, 36 double, 34 homer season, first in MVP voting, two MVP awards as a as a uh, Pittsburgh Pirate really should be three because in 1991 uh, he got second in voting even though he had the best OPS plus and OPS in the National League. Looking at who won it, Travis, Terry Pendleton, who had 6.1 war to Bonds' 8.0. Pendleton led him in like no stats besides like hits and average, which, you know, from a modern perspective, I think people would have probably been more inclined to go Bonds. Um, But at the end of the day, Travis, Bonds, gold glove winner multiple times. The power speaks for itself, of course. Did not become the legendary power hitter until the Giants, of course. And then the steroids put that to a whole nother level. Yeah. But still, Travis was stealing Goliath. was stealing 30, 30 plus bags year in, year out as a pirate. Gold glove defender kind of guy. Two MVP awards. I went with Bonds. Uh, Wayner or Warner. I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> All the guys have hard names to say, but uh, also a good pick. A total legend, a Hall of Famer, but... Um, yeah, a lot of talent in this outfield to pick from. I will say that because there's still there's still other guys, Travis. I was really bummed to leave off. I'm gonna give a big shout out to you, you. You can make a second team, and it's just as good as most of these teams' first teams. Yeah, Travis Andrew McCutcheon to not be on this team is pretty sad. He had one of the best four year stretches of any outfielder for the Pirates. We think of him today, and we kind of have this idea of McCutcheon, like, oh, he's getting kind of older, you know. Yeah, almost league average, you know. Not a five-tool guy anymore. But, Travis, in a four-year stretch where he was top five in MVP voting for for four straight seasons, won the award in in, in uh, 2013, uh, was above, like, a 150 OPS in in three straight years, 144 in that fourth year, was really a premier slugger of the National League for his prime, um, was five-tool, was able to steal bags, play good defense, and hit uh, like no other. So really really an underrated uh, player in my mind, someone who uh, I'm not sure how much Hall of Fame love he's going to get, but a 46 career war already with more years to go. He could make his case more and more interesting if he continues to play at an average level for a while here. Travis, another guy who left off, left off the list was Dave Parker. Dave Parker. The snake. Uh, was that his nickname? The snake. Yep. I've never heard yep. that, but I like that. Uh, Dave Parker, Travis, a super underrated player as well. Sorry, it's the Cobra. <laughs> okay. I like the Cobra better, so we'll, that's fine. That's why, that's why we're not in charge of nicknames. But, uh, yeah, Travis, as a Pittsburgh Pirate, 11 seasons for him, 131 OPS+, plus, a gold glove multiple times, won the MVP award with the team in 1978 when he led baseball in OPS+, plus, OPS, uh, in batting average, batting title for him, two batting titles for him in Pittsburgh, um, Travis, such a great career for uh, for uh, Dave Parker. Wait, what? He's not a Hall of Famer? 
No, yeah, he's not a Hall of Famer. I just, yeah. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that. I just assumed he was. That's crazy. I, I thought your computer crashed or something like no, that. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Well, no, I said what? Yeah, no, not a no, Hall of Famer. I, I know. I, I scrolled up to make sure I saw that gold beam. I was gonna say Hall of Famer, of course. I was like, wait, well, he's not only a forty war. So like, I get why maybe they didn't put him in, but they didn't really care about war when he was anyways. But, but still, I mean, two ninety batting average, you know, three hundred and thirty nine home runs, almost three thousand hits. Um, and then of course, looking at even the, you know, percentage stats numbers, very, very good, a 290 career batter, 810 OPS, um, a 121 OPS plus in his career. But, uh, definitely one of those guys you look at when you look, make a snub list and, uh, he had himself a very nice prime and a very nice career. Um, yeah, kind of wonder what the voters were thinking about or what they were looking at. Maybe it's just the war numbers, um, weren't as strong, but it's, I think war actually is a stat that just came, you know, into existence like the it's past 10 years, more recent than, than his prime, of course. And I mean, the on-base numbers, it's funny, Travis, the on-base numbers aren't that great, but that's not I mean, during some years, but the voters probably didn't care about that as much back then. It's just kind of interesting. I, I, I wonder what the, what the main discussion with him was. I feel like he probably made a good run on the ballot, but, um, yeah, at the end of the day, maybe someday he'll get in. Perfect. So, yeah, now we'll uh, switch it over to the pitching side, Alex. Um, I'll say one thing. Pittsburgh Pirates pitching of recent has not been anything, I would say, of, you know, being on franchise-worthy teams. Uh, it's we did had, we, I had at least had to do a lot of digging when I went through these star, star, five starting pitchers. Completely uh, agree. So I'll start off with kind of the guys that I have. So leading off, I have Babe Adams. I have Wilbur Cooper. I have Sam Lever, Bob Friend, and I think his name is Deacon Felipe, <laughs> pitching way back in the 1900s. But that's my starting five, Alex. Uh, interesting to see who you got. Very interesting, Travis. We have the same five. That that is, I, ba- if I had to bet money, I would say we'd have a different five because I just feel like because this is just a weird list. It's yeah. a, such a grab bag of names. <laughs> so some some of these guys played 10 years and had good prime. Some of these guys played for 20 years. And we're just kind of like so-so with a couple good peaks. Um, very surprised we stumbled across the same five. But Babe Adams, Sam Lever, Lever, don't know. Deacon Felipe, could be Philippe, not sure. But uh, he's definitely a way old school guy, like 1900s we're talking. Wilbur Cooper makes my team. And Bob Friend, I think, is a guy who's somewhat modern. But Travis, so many old school names on this list that people who are a fan I mean, of... I mean, some of these guys look like they had a ticket to the Titanic. I mean, this, we're, just right. get, we're getting old. Yeah, Travis, I think if a modern Pittsburgh Pirate fan listening to this, it might be, I don't know any of those guys. <laughs> exactly. I don't know exactly. one of those guys. And that, that, that's the way it goes sometimes. Travis, the way we like to approach this is we don't want to give advantage to certain eras. Obviously, there's something to be said about before Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier because there was segregation. But at the end of the day, if someone has the better ERAs, the better strikeout numbers in the older area versus the newer era, we kind of want to give credit where it's due. So um, it's an old school five. Charles, I don't have much to say about these guys because I know so little about them. I kind of discovered them as I was making the list. But um, some good peaks, some good upside. One guy who I left off that I almost had on, you may have seen his name too, but John Candelaria had some really yeah. good peak years. Um, just not... He almost took over Bob Friend for me, but I just yeah. when it when it came down to it, I just kind of looked at the seasons I liked best and made this kind of five. Yeah. Somehow, someone across the same five as Travis, but that's surprising. That's how it goes. Pretty, yeah, and then very lucky too, because yeah, I was thinking this would be a list we would definitely disagree on, and I'm not really going to have a huge argument because sometimes these pitching uh, rotations are just kind of you know who do you got? <laughs> it's yeah. next man up, but 
uh, yeah, not, of course, the strongest starting pitching that we've made, but uh, a lot of these guys go way back to, you know, pre-1930s, 1920s. So um, that rounds out for our starting rotation. We'll now go to the ninth inning guy. And went with a guy that actually was their starting pitcher um, for that 1979 World Series championship team. Uh, it was pretty locked down. Uh, consistently was around a 2.75 ERA his entire um, Pittsburgh Pirates career. He spent 12 years with the Pirates. But I went with Kent to Colby. And he spent uh, 12 years total with the Pirates with a 2.68 ERA. 158 saves. So not a lot of saves, of course, to compare to some other guys. But... Um, about a 140 ERA plus Alex and back-to-back years in that 78 and 79 season uh, finished in the top five of Cy Young. So he was doing something right, finishing so high there. Um, and both back-to-back seasons, he actually had 31 saves um, for both seasons. Uh, but that's who I got from the ninth inning guy. Who do you got? Travis, I also do have Kent uh, Tekovi. Uh, Travis, I really wish this guy was in a baseball video game. He, yeah. Maybe he is somewhere. But I'm not sure. Looking at his look, Travis, he throws like submarine. If you look at like Google Images, yeah, and his glasses he wears like have a like a shade, like they turn into shades essentially during day games. You know, he looks I, like such a boss out there. And I saw, I, you know, I, I've seen him on, on a ton of Elmy Network highlights where they go over this guy. And you're right, I think that's one reason I remember him going back is when they used to wear that pinstriped hat. Yes, and he had these like rock star glasses on. It's just kind of like who's this? Who's this freak of nature? But coming he's gonna out? he's gonna yeah. strike me out though. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, he's like throwing a sidearm in this like bright yellow pirates uniform. What a what a boss. But yeah, Charles, the numbers I think, you know, ignoring the look, which I do like, uh the numbers do speak for themselves. Uh not like math not super, super high on like the saves leaderboard for like all time kind of stuff. But looking at the peak numbers I think is what really made me uh, was how he won me over, I guess. Uh, some of his best seasons, Travis, he was leading uh, in games finished, leading MLB in games finished during, you know, 65 games finished in, in 91 games appeared in is huge for a reliever. Throwing over 100 innings in multiple seasons as a pirate is huge for, you know, your workload and still being like around a 140, 150 ERA plus in some of your best years, up to 160 ERA plus in 1978. That year he did get fifth in Cy Young voting. Um, it shows a lot of, you know, endurance and upside that he brought to the table for sure on some important Pirates teams. So, uh, he was the kind of the easy pick for me. I knew him for the look, but now I do see his stats do deserve him the spot. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The look's got to be a good influence on our list, but, um, yeah, that pretty much rounds out the Pittsburgh Pirates, Alex. Great, great offense, um, pitching side. I, I know the, the numbers show they're good, but of course the names, we just don't really know anything about. And I think most Pirates fans probably don't know too much about either. Um, so that pretty much concludes everything with the Pirates. We'll now move to our fourth team, and that is going to be the Chicago Cubs, Alex. So this right now has been the longest franchise that we have done so far. 146 years of wow. Chicago baseball. Um, so they started out in 1876 as the Chicago White Stockings. And they played uh, as the White Stockings until 1889. And then in 1890, they became the Chicago Colts till 1897. Then they had a nice little short stint from 98 to 1902 as the Chicago Orphans. So uh, what? <laughs> uh, wishing the Perfectos and the Orphans were still a team to this day. But uh, in 1902, they changed their name. And in 1903, they became the Chicago Cubs. There's a really funny picture I think I saw on Twitter a couple of days ago, and I've seen it many, many times. But if you ever look up the Cubs mascot in like 1906, 
it looks like it's just straight out of a horror like story. Like the, <laughs> right. the, the mascot looks like this giant chipmunk, and the face just is like so horrifying looking. It, it's I, I've seen similar ones for like the tigers. Yeah, the tiger face looks like something just completely disturbed. But <laughs> it, it's really funny seeing some of the old mascots. Like who who commissioned who who drew this? It's like, like can we have like a mascot like night where we can bring them all back and just see this like giant chipmunk walking around like probably scaring every single maybe so much fun in, yeah in the stands. Yeah, that'd be pretty bad, but. Um, Chicago Cubs, yeah, 1903 to, of course, now. So um, I'll start off, Alex, with the starting catcher for the Cubs franchise. And for me, I went with a guy by the name of Gabby Harnett. And funny enough, Alex, Gabby Harnett won the MVP in 1935. And that was a season where we just talked about Archie Vaughn missing it and getting third. Wow. Uh, Gabby Harnett, Alex, the catcher, a 4.9 war that season, a 4.9 war. Arky had a 9.8 war, so Wild. doubled, doubled war. Um, but of course, playing as a catcher, he had a 344 batting average, a 404 on base, and a 545 slugging. It's just funny to see Arky literally had numbers better at everything. I think every category, Arky Vaughn has a better number uh-huh. um, than Gabby did. But Gabby won the MVP. I'm pretty sure there's probably some sort of you know Chicago bias of getting a Chicago Cub maybe in. To the MVP voting, uh, you know, very seriously. But this guy, of course, had a hell of a career: 126 OPS plus as a Chicago Cub catcher, an 860 OPS. Kind of just an underrated guy that honestly I never heard of until now, until I made this list. And you know, he's definitely up there with probably when you look at like maybe even like a top 15 catchers of all time. Mm-hmm. He could definitely see his name on there from what he was able to provide on the offensive side. So, Alex, who do you got for your catcher? Travis, I also have Gabby Hartnett. Um, he's a guy who, Travis, I like his career a lot. I, I've seen this page before, and like a great on-base guy, probably ahead of his time, like in his prime multiple seasons in a row with like a 400 on-base percentage. Um, really solid slugging as well from a catcher. Uh, you know, home run numbers aren't crazy, but for the time, I think having a slugging around you know 500 as a catcher is, is pretty impressive. The MVP is a bonus for him, but like you said... Uh, we would have liked it to see him go to, go to Arky Vaughn that year. Of course, like MVP voting always kind of becomes an argument, comes down, comes down to team success. And Arky Vaughn's team did make the World Series that year, the Cubs. Um, it looks like they lost to the Detroit Tigers. Uh, they well, made the, I would have definitely thought they lost that year, yeah, going the, over that 100-year drought. Right, of course. And then so four str- he went to the World Series four times as a Cub. So it shows a really dominant era he was a part of. But of course, four straight losses in all those years because of the curse like you mentioned um which didn't get broken until very recently so and i will say the best nickname old tomato face you beat me to it I was about <laughs> i'm to sorry say, i'm sorry i was yeah. about to say like i was just i just noticed that for the first time as i was pulling him up just now but old tomato face i guess his real name is charles leo so gabby's nickname as well but <laughs> uh, old tomato face Hartnet, uh truly a great catcher i love what you said about the little like top 15 ever That'd be a really fun list to make, and I think he would be in that kind of range. He definitely is one of the most slept-on catchers, I think, um, historically. Some great numbers from him, of course. Uh, he was the easy pick for me. Definitely, definitely. Um, we'll move now to the, of course, right side of the infield, Alex. And I will say, man, I I, I kind of broke the rules on, on this one um, for my first baseman. So uh, first base, I went with Cap Anson, the all-time leader in war okay. for the Chicago Cubs. He was a first baseman for the Chicago well, the Chicago White Stockings and then probably the Colts and the Orphans and then also the Cubs. But uh, he played with the Chicago team from 1876 all the way to 1897. 
So 22 years with the Chicago organization um, and an all-time great. I mean, over 3,000 hits just as a Chicago Cub, but he has 3,400 overall in his entire career. Um, and then a 331 batting average, a 142 OPS plus. Uh, I just feel like he was kind of like almost like the Honus Wagner before Honus really came into the league. Um, of course, this guy playing back in 1871, uh, pretty, pretty crazy. But I had to include him on the list, so he is going to be my first baseman, Alex. And then my second baseman had to go with Ryan Sandberg, one of the greatest kind of just defensive and also power-hitting second baseman of all time. I think he has, uh, yeah, almost almost 10 gold gloves, nine gold gloves to be exact, um, and then also a seven-time silver slugger. Uh, would be a really interesting list to look at, you know, second baseman with, with seven silver sluggers or more or nine gold gloves or more. It's pretty. I'm sure it's a, I'm sure it's a pretty exclusive it's company. It's pretty narrow. So Ryan Sandberg, of course, has to be my second baseman. Alex, who do you got for your right side? Yeah, Travis. Uh, second base, we do agree. Ryan Sandberg. Uh, first base, I didn't do the same you know rule break as you. For Good. those that don't know, Travis is talking about the fact that Cap Anson played before 1900s, and that's where we try to focus on 1900s onwards. I still respect the move because, like you said, all-time war leader. So it makes sense to try to you know bend the rule to get that guy on your team. Um, at the end of the day, Travis, I'm I'm just kind of happy uh, with my first baseman being Frank Chance, someone who does not have the same kind of uh, accolades, does not have the same kind of cumulative stats as a Cap Anson, but still a prime I really like and I'm happy to have on my team. For some reason, Travis, the first few years of his career was not like an everyday starter, below 100 games played up until 1903. Looks like he really kind of hits another level where he gets up to 125 games played, becomes the everyday first baseman, um, a 150, 154 OPS plus that year, and was above 150 for four straight years from 03 to 1906. Um, led uh, baseball and stolen bases twice as a first baseman for the Chicago Cubs. Um, I'm looking at only his numbers really after 1900 because that's like the cutoff we you know discussed. Um, and then so overall, as a Cub, 15 years, 136 OPS plus, and all his best seasons were after that 1900s, uh, uh, you know, uh, that, that marker, I guess. The war numbers are pretty solid, too, in 15 years, had a war of 45.9. So I like having Frank Chance on my team. Um, also, there's like a famous like saying of Evers to Tinker to Chance. I think that's how it goes. But like the second baseman to the shortstop to the first baseman, there was like an iconic double play trio, I guess, for the Cubs for like a good stretch where they were a good team. This is before, of course, the World Series, you know, curse began. And uh, he did have two rings actually in 07 and 08 with those other teammates I mentioned. So, um, Travis, I think overall, I get the Anson pick for sure. Anson is probably... And you, you kind of read my mind because I when I was going over uh, Wagner's stats, Honus Wagner, I thought I almost said like he was like the first real superstar. But in my mind, I remembered Cap Anson was probably uh, the all time great that would come before Honus in terms yeah. of like baseball timeline. Like Anson was probably the first real superstar. I think you said he started his career in 71. I think 1871 was the first year that the at the NL was in existence. Yeah. So I think that's really people say that's the start of like the MLB because AL NL uh track him all the way back and the NL came about in that year. So kind of funny. He was there at the beginning like, the of pioneer, the MLB. The the pioneer of baseball. No, exactly. And and being, I would say, probably the best player in baseball 
probably leading up to the 20th century. Um, right. I, Cap think so. I know it's funny. You look at all these stats nowadays when like you see when Albert Pujols breaks uh, a, a big milestone stat or, you know, other people break, you know, like doubles or triples or anything like that. I feel like Cap Anson's name is always like on there. Same same with Nap Lajolie or Nap Lajoie. I think, yeah, like Lajoie <laughs> or something. Yeah. I feel like those two guys' names are always on those lists because they were just so iconic for so many different things when it comes to doubles and it comes to hits, when it comes to, you know, even percentage numbers. But um, they were there at the beginning for sure. And exactly. Charles, one thing I'll add is I've read lots of stories about Cap Anson. Apparently, famously, very racist. So you're allowing that in your team. I'm just going to say, what's going on with that? You know what? I mean, you know I, what? I mean, let's, let's not talk about it. I just wanted to bring it up because I thought it was kind of funny. That's but. pretty funny because, I mean, I, I, know, I know people always talk about when. Hall of, Hall of Fame voting comes around. They want to judge the integrity and the character of a, of a lot of people. But, you know, you look at some of these guys in the Hall of Fame, you know, like Mike's, you know, my example is Ty Cobb, you know. Probably, they, probably a really racist guy. By the the standards. quotes that people always say, you know, oh, my God, like what, what he would say, you know, day in and day out about, you know, the Negro Leagues, all that kind of stuff. But um, no, yeah. <laughs> at, at, the, at the end of the day, you know, the Hall of Fame is full of, you know, questionable people. Um so but, I, I can't knock, I can't knock the ants and pick at all. Based no, on the exactly, numbers on the page. exactly. And plus Hall of Fame votes, you know, you're not, this is, this is history. It's, it's sad to say, but this is the history of the United States, the history of baseball, you know, the right. baseball has been going back for a very long time, but, uh, we're not going to get into that section of, uh, the podcast, uh, yeah, just, we'll, we'll, just yet, but we'll, we'll, we'll spare you guys, <laughs> but we'll go now to the left side of the Cubs infield, Alex. And for me, um, shortstop is pretty easy. It's Mr. Cub. It's Ernie Banks. Um, rounding out shortstop third base. I have the second guy for the all-time world leader in Cubs. I have Ron Santo at third base. That's my left side. Who do you got, Alex? Travis, we're in agreement. I think it's one of the easiest like left sides to pick. Total slam dunks, both of those guys. Ron Santo is someone who's super underrated in my mind. Uh, 70 career war, which is just kind of, I would say, pretty surprising um, to see that he was that high in that kind of list. You know what I learned, Travis? Became a Hall of Famer in 2012 of Veterans Committee. Wow. That tells me that those voters did not know what they were talking about. Because yeah. this guy was a nine-time All-Star, five-time Gold Glove winner. Uh, does not have an MVP, but probably should have been in the conversation a bunch of times. Finished top 10 MVP several times. Uh, multiple seasons of over a 150 OPS plus. So a really premier slugger in his prime was a Cub his entire career until his very last season. So 14 years as a Cub, a 128 OPS plus, a lock for the Hall of Fame, uh, led uh, the National League in walks four different times. So definitely just kind of a modern hitter. Um, it's funny when I see that that he went to the White Sox his last year because he probably was thinking, I, I just want to stay in Chicago. And then the owner or the GM is just like, we'll pay you. Oh, we'll st oh you'll stay in Chicago. No worries. And we're just going to go to the White Sox. But interesting enough that he had to go to the opposite team the right. south side to finish his career but uh but, you go on yeah yeah Charles, 70 war for a career for ron santo is just a great benchmark to have reached that had defense and offense um somehow 2012 took him that long to become a hall of famer unfortunately that's two, looks like two years after he passed away in 2010 so i'm tired of the voters like getting guys in after they die it's like can we please just give them the respect that they deserve like obviously santo look at the numbers he's a hall of famer just put him in uh anyways I, i'm a bit of a bigger and, 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 Hall and of i wonder guy. about i wonder if the death has like pressure to say like oh wait yeah. we, we actually should put this guy in it's like, like yeah, yeah. why why did you wait for this yeah like, you wait for him to die it's <laughs> i like, know what are you, know, what are you, what are you guys know. doing and, i know and that that's probably that's probably very soon for dick allen who uh we've talked about before but is a hall of fame hall of famer by the numbers and has not been put in yet 
um, Travis, Ernie Banks, the shortstop that we agreed on, one of the best shortstops ever, uh, probably one of the best power hitting shortstops ever, just behind the guys like A-Rod and some others. But um, to have 500 home runs as a primary shortstop, also, not, not many people know, but played lots of first base. Might yeah. actually have more games played at first base than shortstop. But to be a shortstop for your the majority Correct. of your you're youth, right. that's true. When, when you're when you're you know in his athletic prime, was a shortstop hitting 50 home runs. It, it is definitely kind of set a stand a standard for shortstop power in his in his day. So, any thoughts on those two guys, Travis? No, they're slam dunks. I mean, I was trying to think of other guys besides Ron Santo, but uh, when think, it when it came down to it, I mean, second in WAR, and we look at the numbers, they're right. they're pretty awesome when you look at all that so he has to be a slam dunk and then of course ernie Banks, shortstop i think it's the first guy you could easily pencil in when you make this lineup he's mr cub yeah i think chris bryant is someone who if you stayed with the cubs your whole career maybe you could catch santo but the more i think about it i don't think bryant's getting the 70 war i think DeSanto is just like uh you know mr cub part two right behind ernie i guess definitely definitely so it makes it pretty easy when you look at the longevity and also the the performance and and the war um it all kind of adds up to be you know on this list but we'll move now to the outfield alex uh three outfielders for the cubs for me um i had to go with billy williams fifth all-time on the cubs war i had to go with sammy sosa sixth all-time on the war and then i went with another guy that did not play as long as he did with other uh as these guys played how long with the Cubs this guy only played six years with the Cubs it's Hack Wilson um he of course is the all-time single season RBI leader of all time a stat that has not been passed yet will never be passed honestly when you look at it I mean 1930 Hack Wilson a center fielder to even put that into context too 56 home runs 191 RBIs uh 105 walks uh, a 356 average, a 454 on base, and a 723 slugging, and on an 1177 OPS. Um, Alex, this is one guy. Honestly, I think we should go back and possibly put as an honorable mention for like our all-time single seasons list that we had a couple weeks ago. Right. Um, it's it's pretty remarkable, and just even just that season as well as the prime career he had with the Cubs, just honestly insane, insane numbers. Uh, I think he was a pretty good, easy slam dunk for the outfield. Who do you got for your three, Alex? It's the same three, Travis. Okay. We have the same three. Billy Williams is, you know. Uh, he's he's almost Mr. Cub part two. Right. It, he, there's the durability and being a Cub, like, you know, the whole career kind of thing. Sammy Sosa, Travis, a legendary prime. Of course, there's the steroid stuff. But I think he's the only player to hit, like, over 60 home runs in, like, consecutive seasons. Here, I think he did it three times in a row, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's, it's actually, and I think it's four seasons with 50 or more and then three of those four were 60 or more which is and, nuts and, and it's funny when you look at like a guy like bonds or even um ruth never did that could not do that never right. did that it's I mean, just I mean, so so which like even though there's steroids happening other guys did steroids and they couldn't do what he did so and and, and the one thing that's definitely we'll talk about in january because he's on the hall of fame ballot you know it's really funny when you look at him and mcguire and how much they how they saved baseball and right at the time, the commissioner was Bud, Bug Selig, yeah. and he is now in the Hall of Fame. So he almost like profited off of these guys, and they're not probably going to be Hall of Famers. And it's kind of just like it, 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 baseball, man. It, it's just it's a weird, funny game when you look at the Hall of Fame status for a lot of these players, and it's like the owners and the commissioner profited so greatly off of you because you made the sport so exciting to watch again. But you're going to be punished in a way to not make the Hall of Fame. So. Um, it's honestly a really interesting conversation to have 
Uh, but of course, looking at the numbers, Alex, I mean, just insane, insane numbers. I mean, when you're consistently hitting 60 home runs a season, you're on a different tier now. So uh, you had, of course, that him, Billy, and also Hack Wilson. I have Hack Wilson too, Travis. You covered that that incredible 1930 season uh, perfectly. He really was kind of, uh, I was going to say National League, like Babe Ruth. That really doesn't sell quite right. I think Mel Ottsmore a better pick for that. At the end of the day, Hack Wilson is kind of in that conversation for just a National League dominant force because he had from 1926, his first year as a Cub, all the way through 1930, so five straight years, over a 150 OPS plus. Um, and that, of course, peaked in that year you're talking about. Travis, I don't know how MVP voting worked back then because it's really weird. Like, there's so many great seasons you just see no votes, and then there's, like, bad seasons where you see tons of votes. I don't know if, like, the writers, like, I think there's some years where, like, some AL and some NL, like, leagues like didn't vote i know that's a thing like there's some years where they just didn't vote for mvp they just like abandoned the award and they brought it back somehow 1930 he got no votes i guess but they must have not had the award i I can't i can't possibly believe that he just didn't receive any votes i'm gonna assume they didn't have the award that year um because he got votes the years before and then he had his best year with 191 rbis and did not get it but and i know back then i think you're looking at average home runs and RBIs as like the main stats and, and also leading team performance and he's leading it. And yeah. he's, yeah, yeah. So great. Yeah. Great average. And then leading in homers and RBIs. That's a great point uh, to add. Um, 105 walks compared to other guys back then. That's yep. definitely a huge number. Um, more walks and strikeouts in some of these years. Travis, I, I'm glad to be agreed because it is a short stint with the team, only six years as a Cub, but it is a very impressive 155 OPS plus in those six years. Pretty much matches anyone else, even though it's a short stint. So um, I'm glad we agree there and uh, probably good move on to pitching. Yeah, pitching, starting pitching for the Cubs, Alex. Uh, from what I looked at and analyzed, really strong. I mean, very strong. Really, really good performers on this list. For me, Alex, um, the top three were very easy. Fergie Jenkins, Mordecai, three-finger Brown, Pete Alexander. Um, those are the three that I think were just slam dunks. And then the next two, uh, I had Jack Fester and or- Orval Overall. <laughs> what? <laughs> I didn't I didn't see that name. I'm glad you brought him up. I want to hear everything about that guy. Okay. Let me tell you my five first. Okay. And then I want to hear about Orville Overall. <laughs> oh, yeah. That name. <laughs> okay. So my... <laughs> That is that is so legendary. Okay, my top five: Travis, Mordecai, Three Finger Brown, hundred percent; Fergie Jenkins, hundred percent. I also do have Pete Alexander. I have Rick Rochelle, or however however you say that. And my other pick is Hippo Vaughn. Hippo, all right. Another great name. So tell me about or- Orville, and I'll tell you about Hippo. Okay. <laughs> so for Orville, overall, uh, California boy, actually uh, buried in the Inglewood c- Cemetery. So. Uh, if you want to go check it out, <laughs> uh, went to UC Berkeley, but uh, pitched with the Cubs for six seasons, Alex. And this is uh, 1906 to 1913. Actually, he missed 1911 and 1912, it looks like. Um, so, but pitched with them for six seasons, uh, a 194 career ERA. Uh, that's only a 133 ERA plus just because of the time a lot of guys had, you know, low two ERA numbers, but uh, a 194 ERA, which I just thought right there was just super super impressive uh and again part of their world series championship winning teams back in the early uh 1900s i think their last championship was 1908 uh before they 
basically the curse started. So um, went with him just because I uh, liked the ERA, and I liked that he was in that time frame of being a winner. Um, so, of course, wanted to go with him. Also with uh, postseason stats, uh, really interesting when you look at 1906 to 1908, they made the World Series all three years. And in all three years when looking at it, he had an ERA under I believe it's honestly a 1.25 um, looking at wow. the entirety because uh, just an absolute monster when it comes to the mountain. Every single year he pitched over uh, just just about 18 innings in both every World Series. So he was getting the ball for nine innings every single game and just being a flat-out dominant per- performer. So had to, of course, go with him. Uh, the, the next guy, Alex, I think his, his name's Jack Fester. Um he again pitched with them as well in that like 1906 to 1911 time frame. So six seasons with the Cubs, pretty much the same, uh, yeah, same team as Orville overall. Uh, and and again, great numbers with him as well. A 1.85 ERA, so a little bit better than overall. Uh, that's a 139 ERA plus, and again, very very instrumental in pitching in the World Series. Uh, had a couple of bad outings in the World Series, but of course finished with one. Uh, one instance had one in or one game he pitched nine innings uh and of course one earned run in that appearance so great great performance uh in those world series performances but uh talk to me about your guys yeah so a couple of guys we disagree on i have rick ruchel i like some of the legends you brought up but this guy's a bit more modern 1970s uh cub uh, had some average seasons and had some really good ones uh, a 131 era plus uh, with a three Exactly, three flat ERA in 1973, and had his by far best season in 1977. Was an All Star, third in Cy Young voting, 158 ERA plus, a workhorse with 252 innings pitched, which for the time was definitely a lot. Um, I think I went with this guy because he had some pretty solid WAR numbers um, as a Cub in that one season I mentioned, Travis, in 77, a 9.5 reference war which is a huge number um i assume it's mainly because he had the nice uh, era plus the workhorse the innings pitched was was major so he made my team also travis hippo vaughn was someone i had that you did not hippo vaughn great name first of all have to mention that and besides that travis overall just some great years as a cub uh two different times he led the national league in innings pitched in 1918 and 1919 uh, in 1919, he led actually all of MLB in innings pitched. Some great ERAs as well. Led the National League in ERA and ERA Plus in 1918 with a 1.74 ERA, 159 ERA Plus. Really great back-to-back years he had there in 18 and 19 in terms of the ERA, both at around below 1.8. So uh, super dominant uh, for a good Cubs team back then. Um, he pitched nine years with the team and had a 125 ERA plus the peak years is what did it for me. I liked his peak years a lot. So he made my team too. Travis quickly. We should mention the guys we agreed on because they deserve a lot of praise, I guess. Um, for those, for those that don't know, uh, just some legendary names. I love Pete Alexander. Travis is someone who his best years may possibly have been as like a Philly, but, uh, we'll get to that next episode, I guess. But uh, as a Cub, still very impressive. Nine years of a 131 ERA plus. So well above average in his nine years there. Uh, led the National League in ERA twice during that stretch. Was a workhorse. Got up to 363 
and one third innings pitched in 1920 for the Cubs. That's a monstrous figure. And that was like the first year of like the Babe Ruth home run party. So even though if different league, still same era, putting up crazy pitching numbers, a 173 strikeouts also led uh, baseball that year. Um, a super underrated guy in Travis. He's someone who I do know that I think he has some sort of like, he has some sort of like a, a physical, I guess, a disability after being in World War One, where he took like some mustard gas. And I think it affected his like ability to like, uh, I guess, work with his teammates. But he was still so talented that he kept making baseball teams and was super dominant, um, even though he became like a guy who would like have these kind of fits and I, it, really interesting story. That's insane, if, yeah. if you want to read about Pete Alexander, also known as Grover Cleveland Alexander, I think that's his, his real name is Grover Cleveland Alexander, but goes by old Pete. So <laughs> I, I encourage you folks at home, look up Pete Alexander on Wikipedia. Very interesting guy who, like I said, was in the service in World War One. mustard gas changed his life, but he still came back after the war and be, remained to be a great pitcher. Um, one more guy, Travis, that is also has his own weird quirks. Three Finger Brown. Of course, real name is Mordecai Brown. Mordecai Peter Centennial Brown. That is an all-time legendary name. But, but goes as Three Finger or Minor. <laughs> and, and, and that's because when he was a child, I looked this up beforehand, he lost part of two of his fingers in like an agricultural like machine like accident yeah, yeah. like working on the farm of course i think they're all farm boys uh, yeah i think it really gave him an interesting way to hold the ball that no one else really could compete with or he kind of innovated the game in 1906 travis he had probably one of the best seasons ever a 1.04 era led baseball of course dead ball era but still a 1.04 I don't care what area you're in. That's a legendary ERA to be at. A 2.53 ERA plus is just another world. Um, overall, there's such legendary stats for this guy. Also, as a Cub, Charles, I'm just looking. 1906 through 1910. It's like five straight years below a two. It's all in the ones. It's yeah. a one ERA. Pretty Every, remarkable. Year in year out, throwing 200 sometimes 300 innings pitched. Truly, just a total go. A total legend. Um, has to be in this team. Got up to like a nine war multiple times as a Cub. Uh, anything else to add in these kind of legendary pitchers? No, I'm glad you added Mordecai Brown because, yeah, he his numbers are in just insane. Um, you know, going back even to, like you said, 1906 with that 104 ERA. Uh, just, I, I mean, <laughs> you can't get much better than that. And then, of course, the innings pitch being so high. Um, it, it's just crazy, you know, looking at today's pitchers and then comparing them to this kind of time. And it's, it, you know, you just, you, you really want to, you really wish you can go back and watch to see how games were played, well, how things were all done. Um, what was know. this guy doing with his fingers on the ball? Exactly. Like he must've had some sort of splitter that was just like unmatched or even like a palm ball with just three fingers. And it's just like, you know, wh what is this guy doing out there? But, uh, yeah. And then of course the thing you said with, uh, Pete Alexander, you know, mustard gas kind of being a disabled playing still and still being a very effective pitcher um it, you know it, it's just it's weird you know I, I you look at these guys that played in 1900 1920s it, it just seems like they're just built different i mean yeah, the, the, just, these guys grew up on the farm and you know were literally no schooling they pretty much were just from the from the day they were walking they pretty much were helping you know pops or uncle out out in the farm you know you you imagine how much muscle and how much you know, just I, I feel like these guys were just built different. I mean, honestly, you look at pictures even of Lou Gehrig and he just looks like someone that does not look like a, like a human being. I mean, he just built that's what they call him the iron and, horse. But and, it's just like 
it's, it's fun- insane. It, it's funny how the knowledge of like proper like weightlifting and like muscle building and yeah. nutrition they have all that info today and they know how to make like a really good athlete like so it's like these baseball players today travis they look like jock they look like you know they, yeah. you, you could be playing basketball you could be playing anything but the guys from back then they look like just kind of different creatures i agree it's like it's like it, what, what was going on what were you feeding your kids back then no exactly you, it, like animals. you really you really you really wanted I, it's just it's, it's really interesting to look at that kind of stuff and even with injuries i mean you look at guys like you know, even like Rendon and Trout and the Angels this year, and it's just like, man, we're doing everything possible to get these guys off the injury list, but they keep on getting back on it. And then you look back in, you know, back in you know twenties and thirties, and it's like Babe Ruth really never went on a you know a, a sixty to eighty game injury stint in his career. It's like he was always ready to play. So interesting to see that kind of stuff, you know, how it goes on. But um, glad we talked about him. And then of course Fergie Jenkins, three thousand strikeouts in his career, um, Hall of Famer, has a Cy Young to his name as well. Just a great all-around pitcher for his career. So um, that pretty much sums up everything with the starting pitching, Alex. Um, we can now move to the, uh, I guess, the Cubs closer. And for me, I went with Bruce Suter. So for him, of course, being up there in the all-time saves leader for the Cubs, also with having a great ERA. Um, I thought he was a just, just honestly a definite pick. A definite pick. There are a lot, of course, great names for the Cubs, but of course, for me, Bruce Suter has to be the guy. Who do you got? I agree, Travis. Bruce Suter is the pick for sure. Uh, five years with the Cubs, a 171 ERA plus. Truly, like his his peak was the, with the Cubs. He was a different animal with the Cubs. Uh, some of his ERA pluses in some of these years, Travis. Oh, 107 innings pitched in 1977. With a 3.28 ERA plus, that's a 1.34 ERA, sixth in signing voting, seventh in MVP voting. This guy was a elite closer on a rate basis for over a hundred innings pitched. Um, truly different. Uh, multiple seasons over a hundred innings pitched as a relief pitcher. Um, got the saves title twice as a Cub uh, for his league. The ERA plus, the Travis, the ERA plus numbers do it for me. I think he was just too elite. Um, also the, yeah, the ERAs look great and the the, he was a workhorse. I think, you know, he has a great case to be, because also Travis, four years as a St. Louis Cardinal, I really wanted to put him in consideration for that list, but only had four years. Um, yeah, Travis, I think one of the best, uh, closers in NL central history, but we'll get that later. Um, and, and honestly, same he, like Lee Smith as well. Um, he was a right. list and again, another Cardinal. So, uh, yeah, I mean, these, some of these guys just putting together great careers, but not enough time maybe with one team or maybe the prime was with the other teams. But um, yeah, Bruce Suter was definitely a guy to uh, definitely acknowledge. But um, anything else with the, with the Cubs or on the pitching side? I think that wraps it up. Some legendary names throughout the Cubs organization. One of the better teams, of course, as we go through all these lists. Um, probably good to move on to our last team now. Yeah, and the next and the last team will be, of course, the basically kind of the new kids on the block. Um, every I think every team we talked about is 140 years old. Now we go to the Milwaukee Brewers. They're only 53 years old. So, of course, um, definitely a, lo- a lot newer franchise than uh, everyone we've already talked about. So the Brewers have been around for 53 years. And they actually started out in 1969 as the Seattle Pilots. I know a lot of people like that baseball cap because it's a very unique style. Um, And then, of course, moving from Seattle, they went to Milwaukee in 1970 and became the Milwaukee Brewers um, and have been them ever since. So uh, that is the Milwaukee Brewers organization in their history. Alex, we'll start off with the catching position. I'll let you go first. Who do you got for the Brewers all-time catcher? Travis, I was a bit surprised to have this guy as my guy, but 
I picked Jonathan Lucroy. So interesting. Obviously a newer team like you mentioned, but I'm going with an active player, Angels legend, of course. Um, I went with Lucroy. Uh, I'll get into his numbers in a minute, but Travis, go ahead and tell me who you got. Same thing. Oh wow, Jonathan Lucroy. Um, and I, I think I going even back to some of the numbers. Uh, I, I'm I'm more than positive he was, you know, kind of like a just sneaky doubles machine. Um, right. Going into those early days with Milwaukee, got a couple All Star bids. Finished fourth in MVP one of those seasons in 2014. Had a 300 301 batting average with a 131 OPS plus. Uh, 53 doubles uh, that led the MLB. So crazy. Had a lot of X rays hits that that year, but um. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I think looking at the history of the Brewers, there's not a lot of strong catchers, and Jonathan Lucroy just his name definitely made the most sense. So that's why I think it's an easy pick. Anything you want to add with Lucroy? Uh, you just like yeah, the OPS plus in three straight years was over 100. In two of those years, it was up above 130. So a really in his prime, a great hitter as uh, a Brewer, and that is enough to get him on this list. Definitely, definitely. We'll now move to the right side of the infield, Alex. Uh, I'll let you go first for first and second, and then I'll give you my rebuttal. Cool. Uh, my first baseman is Prince Fielder, uh, a guy who we liked watching growing up. There are cases for other guys I'd like to mention, but I'll I'll uh, move on for the time being. Second base, I went with a kind of a a guy who's played multiple positions in the infield. Different ways you can arrange this, but I went ahead and put Paul Molitor as my second baseman, most famous as a DH. Played lots of third base, but also multiple seasons where his most played position was second base for the Brewers. So I went with Molitor, stuck him at second base, uh, Hall of Famer, had to be in the team, could put him multiple spots. I went with second base. Tell me about your right side, and then we'll debate. We keep it the same. The yeah. same? Yeah. Really? Okay, yeah. cool. Prince Fielder, uh, just a insane power hitter. I know me and you, uh, during kind of the, the glory days of watching in the early 2000s, uh, you know, Prince Fielder was just this huge lefty bat in the NL Central, uh, definitely was, you know, a great pick. I, I, there's all one other guy, Cecil Cooper. Um, right. I was going to mention him. He, yeah. First baseman for the, uh, Milwaukee Brewers for 11 seasons. I think he does have, uh, you know, almost if not a little bit better, but pretty similar numbers. I think the power wise, just Prince Fielder just definitely beats him on that, but still a great, great brewer, um, for that. But Definitely, I thought Prince Fielder had to be the guy. And then, of course, second base, Paul Motter, like you said, second base, first base, third base, DH, maybe even, I think, a little bit of outfield. I feel like he just played all over the, all over the place. But um, that's my right side, Alex. Anything you want to add on I, those guys? I, I like you mentioned Cooper, Travis. He is someone who, I think, looking at the war numbers, like the war per like plate appearance kind of numbers, he was superior to Fielder um, by a little bit. But like like we kind of agreed, we love uh, Prince Fielder's prime uh, he put up some really great seasons uh, and kind of a little mini, a little mini like glory era when they had like Braun and Fielder both being really great. Um, yeah, I think it, that was a fun year for the fun uh, Philly or I'm a little scared. A very fun Brewers era dynasty. And um, <laughs> because of that, I think it's uh, he makes him kind of a, an easy pick. Um, I can see it going both ways, but I guess that tie will go to the more modern guy who did it in, in a pretty hard era. No, definitely. 100 um, percent. That moves us to the left side, Alex. Uh, shortstop, I think we can just definitely pause and say that was not pretty uh, hard to make that decision. Right. Um, Robin Yount is the shortstop uh, for my list. And then for actually the third baseman, Alex, I went with a guy by the name of Jeff Cerwillo. Uh, Interesting. Playing, uh, I think it was 90s and also into the early 2000s. So uh, Jeff Cerwillo uh, had a all-time leader, actually, for the Brewers for batting average. So has a three- 
.07 batting average as a Milwaukee Brewer in his seven in his eight years for Milwaukee Brewers, but um, an .831 OPS and then a .113 OPS plus. Uh, just basically kind of just a contact machine, a thousand hits uh, to be exact as a Milwaukee Brewer in his eight seasons. Um, like I said, again, best batting average in the franchise's history at a 307. That's why I went with him, of course, playing primarily at third base. But Alex, let me know who you got for your left side. We'll discuss. Yeah, uh, we kind of mentioned already that we kind of agreed on uh, shortstop being Robin Yount has time in center field an MVP award in center field and MVP award at shortstop, which is pretty remarkable. But I agree the best spot for him on this team is going to be at shortstop. Third base, Travis, I went with a guy by the name of Don Money. Don Money, I think, the is, name. is a bit under, I guess, underappreciated, I guess. I'm not sure. But a good 36.5 career war, um, even though his name doesn't have that much buzz. Uh, as a Milwaukee Brewer, that's 11 years at a 114 OPS+. plus, uh, Topping out at about you know a 120-ish OPS+, plus, but on that he does that kind of on multiple seasons. Four-time All-Star. Got MVP votes two different times, so... A lot to like about Don Money, I guess, but at the end of the day, Travis, um, there probably was not a super slam dunk pick for third base, so we both kind of covered two different options. Um, but yeah, I, I'm glad the way we kind of took this angle. Probably good to go in the outfield now. Yeah, the outfield for the Brewers, um, or at least my outfield, is going to consist of these three guys, uh, Ryan Braun, Jeff Jenkins, and then Alex Sorry, but I had to break the rules a little bit again, but I went with Christian Yelich. It's okay. Um, Christian Yelich, I think, is honestly the best bet, the best pick for the outfield right now for the uh, Milwaukee Brewers. I mean, looking at what he did in 2018 and 19 with them with the Brewers in his first two seasons with them, I mean, you're talking about a 1,000 OPS and then 1,100 OPS. Um, just absolute insanity. Top two MVP both seasons, Silver Sluggers both seasons. Had a little bit of a drop off the last two seasons, um, hoping that he could really rebound and pick it back up again. Uh, but what he's able to do is just, I mean, you literally was putting up Mike Trout hitting numbers. Um, just just uh, honestly, the one player in MLB that was right behind Mike Trout in terms of, I think, overall best player in MLB. So Yelich had to be on there. Ryan Braun, of course, has to be on there easily, you know, being almost like Mr. Brewer from like the 21st century. Right. Um, winning an MVP, winning all those silver sluggers, just being a great bat for so many different playoff runs uh, and such an important piece of the playoff teams. Uh, Ryan Braun has to be on there and for the outfield. And then I went with Jeff Jenkins. Um, basically with him, he just kind of has the longevity. Um, not really a great, I would say, just performer i mean he really only had one all-star appearance in his career uh, basically a 275 hitter a 114 ops plus in his career with the brewers from 98 to 2007 and then it's funny that he actually left the brewers and went to the phillies for his last season in 2008 and actually went home with world series championship and, wow. then, re and then retired pretty much so um has a ring at least to his name but jeff jenkins will be the last spot for my outfield alex let me know who you got for your three outfielders okay so I like where this is going. I also had Christian Yelich. I had pretty much four names written down. Um, I was not going to include Yelich at first because last week I was breaking the rule a bunch and I don't think Travis is very happy with me. <laughs> but now that you put Yelich, Travis, I'm going to jump the gun and put Yelich as well. So here's going to be my three. Uh, Ryan Braun 
is the must pick in my mind. Uh, he is, you know, a yeah, thir- th- third in war all time, a career brewer for sure. 47.1 war as a brewer is a great number to be at. If not for the steroids would have a very, you know, of course got a steroid suspension at one point in his career. If that didn't happen, very good case for the hall of fame, I would say, but, um, I think his odds are slim now. Uh, Travis, my other pick before going to Yelich, I'm going to go with, uh, Ben Ogilvie. So, some interesting numbers from him. Uh, I didn't really think that he would, you know, I didn't know much about this guy before doing this list, to be honest. But looking at his numbers as a brewer, nine years of a 124 OPS plus, topped out at a nice 153 OPS plus in 1980. That's pretty much playing the whole season and had uh, 13th in MVP voting that year. So very good year from him that year. Uh, actually had 41 home runs, which is a huge number, led the National League. So a sneaky slugger with a good prime there in uh, in Ben Ogilvie. Uh, and Travis, I will also go with Christian Yelich as well. I think the prime is too good. Next season, he'll be at his fifth uh, season with the team. And he'll easily be on this list. He could, he could just bum out and do nothing, and he'd be on the list because those two back-to-back a years, MVP award into second-place finish. Another example, Travis of someone who stepped it way up after winning an MVP, but then didn't get it, which yeah. the thing about that year, Travis, Cody Bellinger had very similar hitting a little bit worse, but was playing platinum glove, at least gold glove level defense with a great glove and great arm. Um, both, and a, and both a team could, that won 106 games. So. That's right. So like there's tons of reasons to be favorable on Bellinger that year. Also, Yelich missed the last like month or three weeks of the season because he like broke his kneecap on a on a fouled off pitch, complete freak accident. But there are reasons to go Bellinger that year. I'm not gonna say Yelich was the for sure pick, but batting wise on a rate basis, Yelich was the best hitter in baseball in 2019. Um, the the OPS being at 1.1 is is freaky. It's something Charles never even done. Yeah. So uh, he it makes too much sense to have him. Um, make this list because next he, Travis in in March he's gonna qualify so yeah. might as well just put him now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I'm I'm gotta be agree there. I'll shout out uh, Sixto Lescano who was gonna be on my team before Yelich. Um, had a sneaky good year uh, a couple of different times, but Ben Ogilvy got the edge for me. A very similar careers when I was looking at them, but. Um, I think that's pretty much wraps up the position, the position players here. Probably going to move to pitching now. Yeah, yeah. And pitching staff, um, not as strong as the Chicago Cubs. Uh, <laughs> had had to really do some digging for this one. But for me, Alex, my five guys, and not in not in the order of being you know dominance first to to last. But for me, I have Ben Sheets. I have Teddy. I think it's Huguera. I have Brandon Woodruff. I have Giovanni Gallardo, and I have Jim Slayton. So those are my five guys. All of those guys, of course, have played five or more years with the Brewers. I want to make sure with Brandon Woodruff, he's been absolutely dominant. Uh, So I want to, of course, include him on this list. But who do you got for your five, Alex? So Travis, four are the same, but not quite all are the same. So I'll start off with Woodruff also on my team. I think, you know, obviously active players still building to his resume. But that last season he just had was great. Really helped his case a lot. Teddy Higuera uh, also do have him. Ben Sheets also have him. Giovanni Gallardo also makes my team. The third pick and the spot where we differ, sorry, my fifth pick where we differ, uh, I have Mike Caldwell. Um, I will say, Travis, there's only one reason I have this guy, and he had this one really good season. The rest is nothing too crazy (laughs) or special, but I'm pulling it up right now. I need to make sure I get these stats 
exactly right. So for Caldwell in... 1978, it was his year, Travis. Second in Cy Young voting. Didn't get the award, but a 160 ERA plus, 2.36 uh, ERA. And in 78, 23 complete games led baseball. 34 starts, 23 complete games. So way wow. more than half of his games, he went the distance. Almost 300 innings pitched in 78 for him. So a really special year, I'd say, for him. Kind of interesting too. Only one thirty-one strikeouts. Not a strikeout pitcher. So not like a dom. Not not like a dominant. Like you know, gonna blow by you. But like pitched for contact, I guess, and got the job done in a great way that season. Uh, in eight years in Milwaukee, a one hundred three ERA plus. So you could you could pretty much say take away this one season, and he's below average as a Brewer. But that one season was so good, I put him in. Tell me, tell me about the guy that I didn't include that you did because I'm sure they'll have a very equal case, I'd say. Yeah, and John Jim Slayton, um, there's really honestly two main categories that are, of course, um, best for Milwaukee Brewers in, in, in the history. That's wins, number one in wins for okay. the Brewers, 117, and number one in innings pitched uh, by actually quite a large margin. Actually funny, Mike Caldwell is the second most in innings wow. pitched. So Jim Slayton had about, oh, about a little over 400 innings pitched higher than Caldwell. But um, for me, I mean, the last pick was definitely one where I was just kind of scratching my head and did not know where to go on this one. Um, Jim Slayton, I think he has a 97 ERA plus. So honestly, just a little bit of below of a league average pitcher. I just felt like, okay, you know what? The wins definitely weren't being a leader in that. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's one of those picks where you're just kind of like, I really don't know where to go with with here. Um, so it, it, that that's, of course, uh, going to be my pick. Number one in wins, number one inning pitch. Um, two two categories that are, of course, wins like we always talked about. It's not going to be a big category that I'm going to be basing everything off of because it depends on really your team performance. And the, But, of course, right. innings pitched, being kind of the workhorse for the organization, sure. I like that a lot. Um, so that's why I went with him. But great stuff. I mean, li- literally, when, when you have a top two Cy Young finish, it's going to warrant a lot of value in that, and, you know, Charles, I'll add. selection. I'll add in like four years, Corbin Burns will be on this easily, team. Easily. There's just no doubt. Freddie Peralta probably too. You know what Burns did in 2020, 2021, all-time great back-to-back kind of stretch. Going forward, even if he's kind of average, he'll make this team. Peralta, Travis, you mentioned a couple good seasons. Uh, he makes this team. Yeah. Um, of course, the Brewers are just great at pumping out great pitchers. So there could be a completely different look in 10, 20 years. But for the time being, this makes sense as our top five. I think definitely. Uh, we're gonna close your Travis. Um, this, w- there's a lot of ways to take this. Honestly, there's some different options. Um, tell me who you got and then, uh, I'll tell you who I got. And we'll discuss. So I went with Josh Hader. Um, nice. Really, of course, want to highlight a lot of other guys. Dan Plesak, uh, being the all time, you know, pretty much the all time saves leader for the Brewers. And also when you look at the Milwaukee Brewers site, he is all over. His name is all over the place when it comes to basically, basically career top 10 leaders in uh-huh. so many different stats. ERA, he's the all time leader, but um hater has just been so dominant since he started in the, in the league pretty much he has just been something that has been so different um i compared to i think any other closer what he's able to do with the slider with the changeup, with the fastball it's it's just honestly insane um so i think he's kind of an easy pick one guy i will i want to highlight to alex but i don't think he played five years so i didn't want to break the rule right uh too much but uh, that's Raleigh Fingers. Right, four years for him. Four years for Raleigh Fingers, the last four years of his career. So he's pitching, you know, age 34 to age 38. Um, Alex, he wins a Cy Young and an MVP as a, as a closer. I mean, 
that right there just shows that that is just pure dominance. Really funny that he had a 1.04 ERA, did not qualify for, of course, the ERA title because, of course, the innings pitched. So, I, of course, I get that 100%, but just an insane ERA and also saves. And it's crazy that, you know, guys like Zach Britton have had better seasons with more saves and just better stuff, and they have not at all come close to, like, the Cy Young and MVP um, but really, really special season for Raleigh Fingers. But Alex, go to you guys for your, for your ninth inning person. Yeah, I charge we agree. I also went uh, Josh Hader. I almost went wanted to go Fingers because of yep. the just that award, the greatness. Yeah. yeah. But in Hader's gone one more season than he has, and he's a better ERA plus. You could argue that Hader is a better pitcher in terms of just Brewers and the extra year helps. So I would say that Hader is a, is a slam dunk pick. Plesak has the longevity yep. and the you know accumulation stats, but I'm really happy with Hader and how efficient he's been. Been one of the best closers, if not the best closer the last couple seasons. We'll continue adding to his resume in the next couple years as well. So um, I'm really happy with, you know, Hader being the guy for this team. I think it makes sense. Definitely. And what, what, the, the, what he does not even allowing you to even get make contact, just right. striking out all of his opponents. All-time great, like, with I, guy. I know I said it so much during the season, but, you know, I love that he comes out there and doesn't even make his defense work. He just wants to strike out everybody that he sees, and he can do it. So, um, honestly, just if, if he continues on this path, you know, he'll be an all-timer um, when it comes to the ninth inning or setup guy for relievers. He, he's on a really special trajectory for his career. Um, anything you want to add on the Brewers? Um, no, I mean, Hader, yeah, just to add, just to kind of icing on top, a 191 ERA plus in five seasons, a 348 ERA plus this last season. Um, only 60 innings pitched. They were kind of saving him for the postseason. Of course, give the big home run to Freeman. <laughs> that's right. Uh, which that, that happens to great closers, Travis. We talk about that all the time. Great closers are going to blow some big games because they help you get to those big moments. Um, but yeah, his numbers speak for themselves. Hader's the pick. Um, yeah, let's move on to our... All NL Central teams. All-time NL Central. Um, powerful team. Very, very powerful team. Super uh, deep. I think when we look at this season, the NL Central, um, it, it's a good division, but I think it could be a, a little more on the weak side. Um, I think when we see this past year, the Pirates, the Cubs, the the Reds were a good team. They were above 500, but not as powerful as a lot of other teams in other divisions. So the division, of course, is kind of a you know, so-and-so uh, division. I, I would just say very good pitching in, in the NL Central um, this past season. And then, of course, in this all-time team, going to have really good pitching as well. But, um, Alex, I'll start off with the catcher for me. Easy pick, Johnny Bench. He is the catcher for the NL Central team. Who do you got? Yeah, it's Bench. Best catcher of all time, quite possibly. None of the other guys really come close. I'm sorry, Luke Croy, but the argument, it's just not there. It has to I be know. Bench. I know, definitely. I think I think Luke Croy was definitely a tough pick. <laughs> I, was, I was definitely looking at that one right there, but... Uh, moving to first base and second base, Alex, this is where I'm interested to see who you got because, of course, I have the Cardinals infield, Pujols and Hornsby on the right side. Interested to see who you got. I also have Pujols and Hornsby. So even though Pujols was not my first baseman for the Cardinals, he has to be the first baseman for this team because uh, there's just no way to squeeze in Mice. There's yeah. too many guys yeah. in the outfield. I can't put Pujols in the outfield anymore for this. Uh, Mice, his, his defense compared to other guys would just be kind of laughable when he's playing alongside Roberto Clemente, and it just is not the same defense. Yeah, I, I get, I get what you mean, and and I will, I will just add that you know, Mize is like I keep saying, like had some all-time great numbers, but six years with the team is not going to be enough to get him on this on this list, unfortunately. So, yeah. uh, Pujols, a top three at least first baseman ever in terms of the numbers, um, Hornsby. Top one, almost certainly, shortstop, or sorry, second baseman ever. 
easy one to one of the best first and second base, you know, combos you'll see from any divisional team. Definitely. Definitely. Um, again, like you mentioned, it's, it, it's all pretty simple right there. Um, left side of the infield. Now, Alex, uh, shortstop. I went with Hannes Wagner, um, of course from the pirates. And then for third base, I actually went with Ron Santo, uh, for that. So who do you got for your left side? So far we're the same, Travis, uh, Hannes Wagner needs to be the shortstop. Uh, has a case for best shortstop ever. I think he might be leading in in a career war for shortstops. Um, and then Santo Travis, underway at third base, and we keep mentioning, um, you know, possibly a Mr. Cub 2.0 kind of guy. Uh, the 70 career war does it for me. Other guys had great cases, but um, Santo has to be the pick, I think. So we're perfect. completely in agreement so far. Perfect, perfect. And then now we'll move to the outfield um, and also include with the DH because we do the DHs on these all-time NL Central um, or division teams at least. But um, these four guys, you could really honestly make a case for you know being in the outfield or at the DH, probably except for one guy. But for me, Alex, my outfield is going to be Stan Musial, Roberto Clemente, Ralph Kiner, and then my DH is going to be Frank Robinson. Um, very, very powerful outfield in my opinion. But who do you got for your outfield and we'll discuss? Yeah, so uh, some surprises for sure. I There's so many good outfielders <laughs> in this, you know, in this in this division, I guess. Uh, I have Bonds. I have Bonds in my outfield. Okay. I think okay. that the MVP year of being over 200 OPS plus has to be here. Um, that's just me. I really like Bonds' peak as he was kind of leaving the Pirates. Um, Musial has to be in this team, of course. There's just no argument for Musial not to be here. Uh, Mr. Cardinal, of course, the numbers speak for themselves. My other outfielder is going to be actually Frank Robinson. Uh, I think Frank is someone who um, is always slept on. Uh, The bat is just very good, and my DH is going to be Ralph Kiner. So. So Clemente was probably the, the, the odd man out. The notable yeah. omission is is Roberto Clemente. I just compared him to Frank Robinson, and obviously the glove and the speed in the arm are going to be a bit better on Clemente, but the bats, I think, were not in the same uh, ballpark. I think Frank Robinson's bat was a bit better across the board, and so I went with the bat over the glove. I think Clemente is an all-time guy, and if you wanted to make the argument that Clemente was a whole career in the division, whereas Robinson was kind of bouncing around between the American League and National League, that's a very fair point. But the and same thing with Bonds, I think too. Very yeah, very true. So I clearly, I clearly care more about like your best peak seasons mm-hmm. over like being with the team or with the division for the whole career. So I ended up going with Robinson in the outfield and. Obviously, Clement is going to be on my bench, um, which is unfortunate, but there's so much talent on this team. It's crazy. Yeah, and actually, good transition, but give me your three bench guys, and I'll give you mine, and we can kind of discuss that. Cool. So, Clemente, of course, has to be on my bench. He's going to be the ultimate defensive sub, coastal pinch run if needed, um, or a great ready bat if needed. Uh, Joe Morgan, Travis, is going to be on my team. Okay. I think he is a super underrated prime. I keep having this kind of trend where I like these guys who are for their primes on this mm-hmm. team. Morgan had a great back-to-back MVP stretch, a great left-handed guy off the bench. Um, he would make almost any team, except for this one has Rogers Hornsby. So he just did, barely didn't make the cut for the starters. Yes, yeah. Uh, my third bench spot is going to Arky Vaughn, uh, another lefty Interesting. Okay. infielder. So can pinch it and can do you know it all. Three guy or Morgan and Vaughn are both guys who clearly I picked for their primes, their best seasons were on another level. Same goes for Bonds um, and Kiner as well. So tell me about your bench guys and we'll go back and forth. Yeah. So starting off my bench, uh, I actually have Lou Brock. 
Okay. I really wanted a guy that could be great pinch game, runner. Pinch runner definitely can play all outfield spots in case you want to put, you know, Stan Musial uh, pinch run for him or you want to pinch run for someone else. But Lou Brock is my one bench guy. Another bench guy I have is actually Pete Rose. Um, another guy that I want to make contact and get base hits in clutch late game situations. So Pete Rose has to be on my bench. Um, will make contact with probably anything. So uh, easy one for me. And then lastly, another guy that's kind of just a uh, not, not a strong, huge pick, but I actually had Paul Molitor. Um, so 34, I think about 3,400 hits in his career. Um, again, so versatile playing third, first, second, also DH, you really could sub him in anywhere on there and he could get you guys, you get you a base hit. So, um, I think I went more of a hits pro style here. Just it seems because like it, yeah. I really stacked my outfield with mutual Kiner and Robinson, where I was like, I will power. get the home runs and power from there. Also from Pujols, from bench, from Santo, I'll get, I'll get the home runs all from there. But I want a little bit more of a speed and traditional, just guys that can put the ball in play on my bench. So Molitor, Rose, Brock are all on my bench for that. So um, I, I like we just compare these teams because you can kind of definitely put your strengths where they are and you could put basically where you think the bench guys will fill in for the weaknesses or anything like that. But it, um, it, it's awesome how we both have lots of respect for these different players, but we took such a different approach in yeah. building this like divisional team. We had so many similarities in like the teams, like the Cardinals and the Cubs. We're very similar teams. For the divisional, we're almost like completely different, and it, it's cool because it kind of shows how many great towns there were in yeah. you know the over century that this division has been. You know. These lists are a lot more fun to make than they are when we talk about like the all-time Pirates or Cubs or Brewers because you have to start scrambling for guys that meet the requirements and then also right. are just like maybe just like awful players, and it's like I got to put them on there because it's the only guy in the franchise. But at least these lists can be a little bit more of iconic names included in there, but. Uh, Alex, we'll now move to the starting pitching side of things, and I'll let you go first. Uh, give me your five starting pitchers. Okay, so top of the rotation. I mean, this is no order, but yeah. uh, I'm going to have Bob Gibson has to be here in my mind. Three-finger Brown, I think his prime was too good. He's going to be on my team. Fergie Jenkins, the longe- you know great longevity in his career, he has to make my team. Pete Alexander also will make my team. You know, Hall of Famers so far. Dizzy Dean also will make my team. That's my five. Tell me who you got. So similar four, actually same four, Bob Gibson, Fergie Jenkins, Mordecai Brown, and then Pete Alexander. Last guy, Alex, I went with is Adam Wainwright. Whoa. I know. I'm I know. surprised. I, I went with, you know, so basically my, my main pick for Adam Wainwright being um, on my squad, you know, f- close to getting up there, almost near 50 war for a starting pitcher. And I just think that what he was able to do, um, helping the Cardinals get to two championships and winning them. And then, of course, uh, you know, looking at the years from 2009 all the way to 2013, those seasons, um, he actually missed 2011, actually, with Tommy John. So he did not pitch then. And then he pitched a little bit in 2012, did not pitch, um, I think, a full season in 2012. But in 2009 and 10, and then 13, 14, he finished in the top three of Cy Young every single year. So he had a prime that I think that was really, really special. And of course, helping the Cardinals get to those championships. Um, another thing to point out as well. But Adam Winger is my guy. Dizzy Dean, let me know why you picked him. Yeah, um, I see the case for both now that you bring it up. I think Wainwright has this advantage of like this longevity, um, a career Cardinal, and just had a really good church with the team. Uh, Dizzy Dean, uh, only seven years as a Cardinal. So another example of you and I having our disagreement being, you know, you favoring like longevity 
I'm just kind of focusing on these peaks, and that's okay. It's just, you know, it's kind of the reason we made the podcast, honestly, to kind of talk about these different perspectives. But an MVP. I know, award, I'm surprised I didn't go with or- Orville overall. Right. Yeah, that would have been the obvious pick. But uh, <laughs> no, for, 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 for Dizzy Dean, uh, four All-Stars and actually won the MVP award in uh, 1934. Uh, a year we had over 300 innings pitched, uh, led baseball in strikeouts, led baseball in wins at 30 and seven. Um, a great season has a 132 ERA plus as a Cardinal that beats out Wainwright by quite a bit, but Wainwright does have the way more seasons to his advantage. So, um, a more legendary name in the franchise, but it's all said and done quite possibly will Adam Wainwright be, uh, Travis, I think both of us have a really good five there. Uh, Gibson finger, uh, three finger Brown, um, Fergie Jenkins and Pete Alexander all are just like Hall of Famers, all-time legends. And that last spot, we got our chance to kind of do our own thing. And I think that's pretty It's always pretty, that pretty last cool. spot, man. It's always, it, it's always, it, the, it, it could be overcrowded where you just don't know who should be that fifth guy. Or it just could be like, okay, I had four really good guys and the fifth guy. I need to find like, who's the B, pl- the B plus pitcher that and, I'm going to squeeze and, in. And I was even debating on putting Brandon Woodruff, but I, I was just like. A few years away, probably. Brandon but yeah. Woodruff in the NL Central all-time team. I think if he told him that right now, he would just be absolutely shocked. And he would just probably think like, that's just so in, in just so wrong. And I would be like, no man, check, check your stats. Yeah. But it, also even Chris Carpenter being on this list, he could easily have been on this list as well for top five. Um, so it, it, it's, it's fun making these kind of lists and getting through these, but yeah, for, of course the, the fifth guy is always, always that tough one that, uh, you really have to do the, a lot of anal- analyzing on, but yeah, I agree. Um, Alex, we'll move now, of course, last to the relievers. And this of course will sum up the last three, uh, relievers, the two setup guys. And then of course the ninth inning closer for me, Alex, I went hater Sutter, sorry, Suter in the setup role. And then ninth inning guy actually went with a role, this Chapman. Um, just being how dominant he was. So uh, a little bit of a, a new school in this uh, part of, of the uh, team. So right. who do you got for your three guys? So uh, two guys the same and one guy is different. Um, I guess I'm just snubbing Chapman today. Maybe maybe that's my <laughs> bad. Maybe I need, to, I need to do some more research and uh, get that straightened out. But Travis, uh, for me, Hader, and I'm actually going with Lee Smith. Okay. So someone who did not make any of our teams cardinals and cubs yeah but exactly he was on both good good thinking he was both on the cardinals and the cubs um as was Suter. Suter, spoiler is my ninth inning guy um so i think Suter overall the numbers are just so good um for the division uh lee smith travis didn't make either of our cardinals teams or either of our cubs teams but i think he deserves a mention here a hall of famer um more recent he was not he was a a veterans committee if i'm not mistaken right he was not on the on the common ballot but yes um over you know over 300 saves for both Suter and Lee Smith, um, Chapman is you know g- he's gonna be right there in the, in the kind of Hall of Fame conversation too when it's his time. But um, yeah, I think that Hader, uh, how good he was in that short uh, you know it's a five year prime. I I think there's just no way to leave him off in my mind. I kind of comparing my pick of Hader to keep off Chapman. Yeah. Um, Hader has one less year, so. There's uh well actually I'm thinking about only uh Reds Chapman now I think about it. So also Cubs Chapman. I, I was gonna point out it's a factor in both. Sixteen uh sixteen saves, twenty-six innings pitched, a one point oh one ERA. That's a four eighteen ERA plus. So it was something I wanted to throw out there too, because it's like that's right. He played like half a season with the Cubs and took him to the World Series, but blue game seven, but yeah. they still won. <laughs> I, I, it's it's almost like the craziest dominating 
end of a season stretch for a closer and a reliever and what he was able to do in the, I think honestly in the, in the division series and in the um, championship series. And I think honestly, part of the world series too, the, the numbers were probably just flat out insane with what he was able to do from the pitching side of things. And then of course the world series gave up the huge home run to Rajay Davis that, uh, but I think still got the win yeah. in the game if I'm not mistaken, which <laughs> you're right. Makes no, yeah, no yeah, sense. yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think there's tons of stuff going for Chapman. I just really like the, over 190 ERA plus that Hater has in the last uh, in the last five seasons, um, and then Suter and Smith are guys with over 300 saves, all time great closing pitchers. Even though on a rate basis they might not be as good as Chapman, they did it for longer. Which um, that's just the way you know difference of opinion, I guess. But uh, some super studs on this pitching staff in the starting rotation and the bullpen for sure on this team. NL Central has been a really deep division. I think we've learned from this exercise, and uh, yeah, I'm happy with this team. And let me ask you this now. Uh, looking at these five teams, what, what do you uh, what, what do you rank in these five teams now? Every time you ask me this, and I've never exa- I've never totally prepared <laughs> because it's it's definitely just requires so much like I guess yeah. creative thinking. Of how, yeah. how would a series go? But um, I think my last place team would be the Brewers. Yeah, I think easily that's just because of the newer school team. Other teams have more history, more time to get some great players. The Pirates are very good, but I think that they. M- there's a chance that they're fourth for me. I'll have to. I'll have the the to pitching kind of, staff is just not treating them right. I don't think. Right. When you look at the Cubs, when you look at the Cardinals and like the Reds, so I, I definitely see that point of view as well as also, um, they have some really good hitters, of course, but also I think they have some drop offs in other areas. So, um, I'm really not going to disagree with you when you say fourth place, um, for them. So, uh, for for me, Alex, I mean, it you know looking at the looking at the Reds offense it's it's scary but looking at the Reds pitching staff it's, I agree it's kind of like eh and, and of course looking at the Cardinals offense it's scary looking at the pitching staff it's a little bit better honestly yeah With Bob Gibson at the front it's it's dominant right there right but then you look at the Cubs and I mean the Cubs have a have a sneaky good offense and then their pitching staff is literally I mean I, I think their pitching staff is probably the best on this entire uh section so I would think so I mean maybe you're looking at a Cubs Cardinals uh top of the division kind I think I, th- I think they're racing for the top of the division I think that'd be the the maybe maybe they're gonna tie and get a w- game 163 or something like yeah, that but yeah. no, I agree that those are the, those are the premier teams of the of the uh you know the division I would say the bats are Really similar. The Cardinals probably get the edge, but then the pitching is the edge for the Cubs. I, I agree. Um, good guys in the bullpen as well. But yeah, I think that uh, in terms of that, like, you know, who will win kind of thing, it, it's always fun. But I think the Cardinals and the Cubs, like looking at the history, it makes sense whether they're the, the one and the two for us because they've been around for so long and have had just like um, multiple different decades, of, like different complete eras of dominance, like you look at the great Cubs eras of like before the curse and then like the bank Santo era. And then like the recent era, like they got so much going on for them. It, yeah. It makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah. And then the Cardinals just kind of being the, I would say almost like Yankees of the NL because it just, it, and with the way, way they're able to perform with the market they're in, not a big market in St. Louis. And I just feel like they always rebound and get top players that can play the, play the spots correctly and right. And, you know, it, just a class organization, the St. Louis Cardinals. So, for me, looking at them, I probably have some bias and say I want them to be, of course, number one spot. Just looking, of course, at the Pujols, Hornsby, Ozzy Smith, like infield, it's like this is a very good. Also, you brought up Johnny Mize. That's just that just adds it so much more right. icing on the top of that. So that would just be an offense that would just be. I, I mean, who's striking out Stan Musial? I mean, Stan Musial is one of the greatest hitters of all time. So, um, really, 
really fun list. Yeah, it's been a really fun division to cover. Um, I'm excited to kind of continue on with the NL East. We'll record that later this week. Um, I think as a plan, right before before Christmas, hopefully before Christmas, yeah, yeah. So um, hopefully we'll have a you know a Christmas episode up for you guys, uh, all done by that time. But uh, Travis, that pretty much wraps up this division. Um, so pretty much one more division to cover, and then we're moving on next week to, um, of course, tackling like how would these uh, American League team look, how would the National League team look, all MLB, and like kind of who would win. I'm really curious to see Travis. I want to have a long discussion, or at least a decent discussion about AL all-time team versus an all-time team who do we like there oh, definitely. It, it, yeah. it, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be so hard to pick because there's so many legends of course in baseball history divide them into two and, and it'll be a fun discussion and, but and also talking about you know which guys had their best years you know i mean i think right an al pools will be so much better than nl pools i mean you, okay. would you agree not funny <laughs> not funny <laughs> but yeah no that's a good point though because you know uh some guys are switching teams of course um staying in the league or going in the other league even got like uh, like like frank robinson i mean you could be DHing on both teams exactly you're right you're right could be could be literally playing himself and, and so with that in mind uh excited for the upcoming episodes of the podcast those episodes i'm talking about should take us up till almost the new year and then of course in january hopefully uh hall of fame time is ready for us and maybe a lockout's over hopefully lockout is 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 almost closed so we can talk about some of the exciting phrases travis korea don't know where he's going um tons of pitchers as well rodan kershaw granky yeah. don't know where they're going um excited to see how it all shapes up, but we have multiple months here before the season to kind of cover all that stuff. Excited to keep it going, Travis. And uh, if you made it this far, another long one, but we appreciate you all the same for making it. And uh, yeah, that pretty much wraps it up. So we'll talk to you guys next week. Presented by Tool Tools Podcast. <laughs>